Blog Talk Radio. ship arrived on June 19, 1865 and announced we were free. That's why we celebrate Juneteenth. I am a slave and the home of the brave, a product of the triangular trade. Please pardon my ways if I'm nervous or the slightest bit skittish. In the presence of the Portuguese, Spanish, Dutch, or British, they kept me in colonial chains. Tell me how to persuade them to chill or to save me. I'm a slave. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro-Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl B. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. direct. I'm your host, D. Burt, a.k.a. The Afro Nerd. And of course, this is The Grindhouse, and I have my co-discussants waiting in abeyance. We have the Left Coast correspondent, Claire Linnae. We have, of course, the captain, Captain Kirk. And I believe we have Claire's doppelganger coming soon. I don't see his number on my board, but I know that he may be running late. Normally, he would, he would let us know if he could not make it. And that, of course, is the uncanny Daryl B., the call-in number remains the same, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Of course, we've got to talk about 
New York Comic Con. What what I can say about it because I only went for one day. This thing has become a monster unto itself. Uh, Daryl went the following day, so hopefully he's able to come in and give us more information. Um, and of course, I got a chance to actually check out Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049, the sequel. And I have a lot to talk about in regards to that film. I believe the captain also saw it. Um, we'll, we'll get it, get it, we'll get it in. There's a lot to get into, a lot to get into. Of course, you know, for those listeners, longtime listeners, that we always give you the best of urban alternative groove, black rock and roll, psychedelic soul. And I have, I have to emphasize this because they're just not playing this alternative music. There's a lot of stuff going on, and they want to keep you in the minstrel mold. We do not. So I'm going to play a new cut by Big Crit. Now, Big Crit is a current hip-hop artist, but I believe there's some talent there. There's, there's the alternative that is present in his music. And if it's good, now this, this cut I'm going to play is the jam. They're not going to play it. <laughs> They want to keep you in this trap state of mind, this trap music state of mind. So anyway, you will hear it first here at Afternoon Radio. This is, courtesy of Big Crit again, keep the devil off. And we need that kind of message music in these times, folks. Keep the devil off. Let's groove. We'll be right back. Lord, be my witness. Gotta keep the devil off. Keep the devil off. Gotta keep the devil off. Keep the devil off. Can't worry about no snakes. What good, no riches, if you six feet under, Lord be my witness, keep the devil off, I was bound on the south side of the moon, put your boy did the bed from the bottom of the map to the top of the mountain, pipping them on the moon, I'm in the room, on the late night, I make move, move, it's a play right, you ain't seen it like a scene in my picture nine days, by the bright in the daylight, I made a strong foundation out of all these voters I care I ran them streets in my yard and you were tucking your tail acting all scary We ain't cutting that cloth I paid to go what I bought I ran circles around y'all and never ever ever got caught Keep the devil off Keep the devil off Keep the devil off Gotta keep the devil off Keep the devil off Keep the devil off Can't worry about no snakes What good no With the soul of a dying in the heart of a lamb when I roll to the fray for a note G. I was creeping, crawling, falling out the shack. Slap was slipping up and through the crack. Now my three stories where you want to be, but better get to see. But never ever at pay for. I made more than they thought I would on my cap. I mean the candy with the brain and the soul with swing and the bang. And that's called back. We ain't cut from that cloth. Well, I paid gold what I bought. I ran circles round and now I believe the fed the people and never got caught. Keep the devil off. Keep the devil off. Keep the devil off. Gotta keep the devil off. Keep the devil off. Keep the devil off. Can't worry about no snakes. What good, no riches. If six feet under. Lord be my witness. Keep the devil off. Keep the devil off. Gotta keep the devil off. Keep the devil off. Can't worry about no snakes. What good, no That's enough for you. 
a taste of funk, taste of groove, taste of gospel, actually, if you hear the underpinnings of that cut. Keep the devil off, courtesy of Big Crit. This is the Grindhouse, folks. We're back. Let's get into it. Captain, you need it on terra firma, as always. Let's get into it. Howdy, everybody. Let's begin. <laughs> Keep it as simple, huh? <laughs> I don't know what happened to, to Daryl. Did, did you hear anything from him? No. Maybe he didn't even uh, see the... I don't know if he... He might not even have seen it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know uh, well, I sent on. multiple messages to him, so we'll, we'll, we'll try okay. again. But we have his doppelganger. So... <laughs> It's just like having Daryl here. By the music, folks, you know who this person is. Again, I could not do the show. We could not do the show without her assistance, her intelligence, her grace, her passion. Um, I know there's some big news coming out for her and from her, so I'll let her do all that. Uh, she is an actress, singer, and a co-discussant on the Afrona Radio Show. She is Claire... Lene, Claire, is that you? It is I. Hey, Wonder Woman, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Hanging in there. I'm, I'm trying to figure out where the hell your doppelganger is, because normally he's he's ready to to chomp on this type of type of stuff. So maybe he's running late. Um, I'll I try to figure out what's going on behind the scenes in a few moments. Um, let's, for let's now, I'll this. hold it down for the both of us. Oh yes, that's that's you could do that, <laughs> no problem. Um, to the to the listening audience, as always, the call in number if you'd like to join in on the discourse is six four six nine one five nine six two zero. Again, six four six nine one five ninety six twenty. Um, every once in a while, when it comes to these big events, sometimes they come across so quickly, and there's always life. You now you have outside interests, you may have um, job, jobs and hobbies, whatever's going on in your life, sometimes these things just come up. And there, there are a number of things that our, that our listenership knows that, I, that we participate in. Afropunk to me was just like a couple of weeks ago. And I guess theoretically it was. But just to deal with the Afropunk thing, and then uh, you kind of sort of think that, oh, well, there's a little bit of time between Afropunk and the New York Comic Con, there really isn't. It's like, to me, in my mind, because I'm so busy, there's Afropunk, and then next week there's New York Comic Con. I'm exaggerating, but it felt that way. So anyway, I did get a chance to check out the Thursday show. Uh, some of it, anyway. Thursday is uh, by far the more pleasurable day as far as a person being able to walk around without too much incident. You know, there's still a lot of f- fanfare. It is not as chaotic as the days go on, it incrementally gets worse or better based on your perspective. Um, normally, I actually drive to New York Comic Con, and, and the person who's always in his car and going to the city, is, it, it's, it's hellish beyond words. So this time, I decided not to do that. To do that. And I'm going to, I'm going to take the trains from now on, even though I have my issues with the trains. It is a far more pleasurable experience to do that. So 
I actually got in got into New York Comic Con with with relative ease, but still, if you do not time this stuff right, you will not be able to see many of these panels. There was a panel for the 10th anniversary of the DC EU, or D, I think I, I believe it was either DC animated or it was or DC movie universe. I think it was DC movie universe, and you have to stand in line to be, to be able to just to get in there at a later at a later date. Like if you go early enough, later date saying later in the in the day. If you go early enough, you have to get your ticket to be able to come back to these panels. So they're just not. Again, last year I I was able to go to a fair share amount of panels. This year wasn't that great. I uh, ran into the great Jamie Broadnax. She she uh, picked me out of a crowd walking around. I did not see her. She saw me. We hugged it out. Uh, of course, I give her kudos because she is helping to promote nerds of color on a large scale. So we are, we are all brothers and sisters in this game. So it was a pleasure to see her. And again, blackgirlnerds.com, I believe her website is. Uh, she's also in some movie that was or a documentary that was shown recently and it dealt with uh black girl geeks or black geeks so again you might want to check that out something easy to google um i heard that wendy williams radio personality and now talk show host personality showed up in a wonder woman contest we know she's quite tall so i guess she could kind of we can kind of get the joke with her her presence you know she's she's a tall, built woman. So for her to don the costume, I guess I guess it's double entendre. I don't know what that is, but I, I happen to miss that. Um, also, a lot of controversy, and I want to open up the lines about this. I want to get Claire and, of course, um, Cap, the captain's opinion on this. One of the main things that came out of Comic-Con was, and I mean came out, I mean specifically being removed, Punisher. Because of the tragedy in Las Vegas, you knew what was going to happen. The display, I would assume, the previews, all of the, the, the tchotchkes and goodies that we would have expected to see for a Netflix imprint, that they, they were removed from New York Comic Con, the panel and everything. Because, you know, this, this anti-hero mows down people not that dissimilar from this quasi-human being from last week at Las Vegas. So, uh, actually, let me, let, let me go to Kirk, and then we'll go to Claire. Clark, Clark pardon me. Kirk, what, what did you hear about this? What were your impressions about, I guess, the business of having to do that? Well, they're just trying to more or less or do the obvious thing, react. They don't want any uh, feedback because everyone's a blogger, everyone's a tweeter, you know, everyone has a personal opinion. So they're just trying to react to that and just protect themselves due to fallout. Because when these things happen, everyone likes to point the fingers to things. But here's the reality of this. Video games, TV shows, movies, comic books, and a lot of other things, just at times general conversation, pushes that type of mentality. So if you think if you think more or less that that's the reason why that this is happening in society, 
and it's everything. You understand? It's all around you. Constant. Look at some of these shoot 'em up video games. You know, Black Ops this, you know, this one, that one. You got all these different video games. Same type of thing. It's not worse going on. You running around shooting people in their head. Is that the reason why someone goes off? If that's the case, everyone would be going off. You know, you, you got to look at it like that. But I understand why they did that. You know, they just didn't want the, the feedback, the blowback from anybody more or less. Just logging on and writing an article and it building bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You do this type of thing and you say, well, okay, you take this off of it. You know, we're still going to put it out. But we don't want to focus on us right now. Let that focus go on someone else. You know? That's more or less what you have going on now with this. That's all. Nothing more. Back over to you, Afterman. Claire, any thoughts about Punisher, the whole shebang being removed from New York Comic Con this year because uh, undoubtedly the Las Vegas tragedy? Um, I mean, Marvel, uh, you know, Marvel and Netflix, they're doing the prudent, the uh, obvious, the expected thing by removing the panel um, because they were going to screen the first episode. And as you said, this character, I mean, let's just say uh, there are a lot of bullets, a lot of bullets flying. And in light of what took place in Vegas last week, I mean, it only makes sense that they really want to, you know, show respect, um, try to maybe allow it to breathe and not be so clearly, you know, associated with that type of violence. But the thing is, is that it's just, it's just disappointing. It's just disappointing that this is this, this is just the world that we live in. I mean, not even two years ago. We're talking about like oh, a year, year and a half ago. You know, the previous worst shooting, deadliest shooting. Uh, in, in recent U.S. history was in Florida, you know, and, and so it's one of those things where this is not the first time a network or a show has had to maybe reschedule uh, a particular episode or story arc out of, you know, out of respect or, or deference to an incident that has actually taken place, but it's just, this is just, it's just disappointing. It's just disappointing. I mean, I'm not trying to be callous in terms of what has taken place. I'm just saying that it's just awful that this has become so normal for us and that this is just par for the course for, you know, the entertainment industry to have to kind of back off for a minute, let it breathe before they continue on, continue on with, you know, business as usual and and showing these types of movies and video games and whatnot, and it's one of those things where I remember, I remember, and I'm sure you know this very well, come on, we all do, back in the day, back in the day, before uh, terrorist meant Middle Eastern, before terrorist meant turban, beard, Allah, whatever, back in the day, before we had any of those associations, when School shootings were very prevalent, commonplace. And 
I just was reading a, a, a brief interview about how Marilyn Manson, you know, for a time he was blamed for everything. It was all his fault. It was all the Matrix movie. It's all their fault. It's all their fault as to why this was happening, you know. But honestly, that was just that was just a chapter of our lives where there was just so much white anger and you saw it everywhere. You saw it everywhere within the industry, within within movies about the white guy, you know, in the shoot 'em up uh movies with with uh with Limp Biscuit and Eminem and you just you saw it everywhere. It's not just one incident or one particular facet or one thing. You know, the I mean the the Unabomber, uh Oklahoma City. I mean it was everywhere, but it was just it was so much easier to find a scapegoat. It was so much easier to say, oh, it's all Hollywood's fault. Oh, it's the media's fault. It's all, it's all them brainwashing people into doing these horrible things. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's an, awkward, it's an awkward position to be in. Do you know what I'm saying? Like even for when um, that guy uh, shot up Aurora. That was during a, a Batman movie. And people didn't even know, is this the movie? Or are there actually guns firing at this moment? I mean, it's just, it's an awkward position because there is a lot of violence in our in our media. It's just, we're so used to digesting that and consuming that. So does that mean that there's something wrong with us? Does that mean that we need to tone it down? Does that mean that there's just something off about our world, that it's it's starting to bleed into, you know, our daily lives? This level of carnage that we we can't we can't enjoy our entertainment anymore. I mean, it's going to be taken away from us. It's going to be filtered or watered down. I don't know. I don't know. It's just an awkward position. I'm I'm just bummed, but I know ultimately it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I'm not trying to gloss over the situation at all. I'm not even going to touch the gun control issue because that argument has been heated and going on forever. Just another. You know, just another thing to, to stoke the flames of division. But I'm not going to touch that. I'm just going to say, in terms of what you're specifically talking about with Punisher, I was expecting it to be released in November anyway. Now everybody's saying, oh, well, they were going to try to do a surprise drop this weekend, right now, you know, uh, after um, New York Comic Con. And now, you know, they're pushing it back. So, I'm, you know, it'll get released. It will, obviously. But it's just it's just an awkward awkward time. That's all. Yeah, you know, um also shout out to our uh stalwart cineast Sergio Mims just says that Anapuna Pictures pushed back the Death Wish remake from November to March 2018 because of the Vegas controversy. That's what he's saying in the chat room. So, I mean, we know that this is par for the course, that anytime there's a major tragedy that's, that's somehow connected or loosely, loosely or can be loosely connected to a piece of art or a film or what have you, that they'll, they'll pull it back or they will remove it. So, I mean, this is someone who is uh, a sociopathic killer, I mean, let's keep it 100. I mean, that's what that's what that character is, Frank Castle. However, 
he's tolerated even even uh, thematically he's to- tolerated because he does he, he takes out the bad guys. This person took out country music enthusiasts. So I mean, there's no comparison, and unfortunately, we're, we're not. Um, it will be considered in poor taste, I guess, to to to, to go forward, even though. There is a there is a bit of discerning involved. I mean, this this is a fictional anti-hero that is that is very specific to getting rid of evil people. But it is what it is, unfortunately. Um, something else too that came out of New York Comic Con that hit the interwebs as well, and I think that my co-discussants also had a particular take on this trailer was the Pacific Rim two. Release the Pacific Two Pacific Rim Two trailer with John Boyega as the central character this time, and um, didn't go over that well. <laughs> so I want the captain to take the lead again. I'll give you my two cents, and we'll bring back Claire, of course. Your thoughts, Captain? Well, I realize they're not making this stuff for me. Now, if you're making this for me, you have to figure out if you can't get Idris Elba. You know, allegedly, you know, what what happened to them, that's irrelevant. You use uh, movie magic, you will bring people back. Or maybe you cannot get an Idris, you know. I need an Idris Elba type of individual because John Boyega is fine, but he's not fine necessarily for this type of thing. I need someone that's more, can't say masculine, even though we're gonna, I'm going to say it. I need someone that's more masculine, more authoritative, who stands up tall. Now, I got to meet Idris. That's a legitimate 6'3 individual. Okay? Now, we know we could use movie magic and make people tall and everything else. Plus, you put some boots on him. You can get him up there at and a half. Plus, he's also broader than a John Boyega. Plus, he also has a little bit of age on him. He has that 40 look on his face. So that helps with the authority type of thing. So he can stick his chest out and let his balls hang. Very nice. That's the type of thing I like to see. I like to see someone stand up tall and stick their chest out. I like seeing that. Now, also, too, the next problem I had when I was watching the trailer, to me, the CGI didn't look as well done. It looked very, uh, as I would say, <clears throat> Trans, not Transformers Because that's giving it too much credit Transformers is excellent Looking more more like As were we Power Rangers Will be Power Rangers So it's very childlike it's looking So it's definitely Not my film My type of film My cup of tea at all The whole thing has a different type of bent But I understand that Here's the other side of that now You go ahead and you go Let me get a John Boyega He's in Star Wars and, you know, we can maybe cater to the kids a little bit more with this, make it look a little cheesy, because that type of look might cater to younger people. You see some cheesy, you know, CGI from time to time, and mommy and daddy goes, oh, you let, me, let me go. You know, not mommy and daddy. Little kids go to mommy and daddy and go, oh, you know, I want to go see this. Maybe they sell some toys, you know, that undercurrent with some of this stuff. You don't sell toys, you know, you don't get a, another movie and all that type of thing going on. Merchandising, the proper terminology. So I didn't like it at all. But again, I realized they're not making it for me. They're not making this stuff for me. 
the first movie was for me. This right here, this is something else. This is trying to scramble the money, change the demographic. Let's get the seven to whatever, seven to what, 18-year-olds in the movie. Maybe they bite, and we can make some make money. Maybe they make more money going this route. I don't know. Maybe they make more money. I like the original version, the way that was done, and just build upon it. That appealed to me. I like the fact you have someone stand up there tall, and we know the storyline. People are going to say, well, you can't get him. He did this. You can do anything. This movie magic. You can bring people back. We all know about that. We've seen that done a million times. Or if you can't get him, you get someone like that. Someone to stick up, stand up tall, stick their chest out. You understand? Let your balls hang. You can't say masculine. You got to use words like authoritative. You understand? Because all the liberals say, who are you to say what's masculine? Shut your mouth, you liberal. <laughs> Shut your mouth. You need someone to stand up tall, stick your chest out, and say, you do this, you do that. Let's go. Let's get busy. And it would have been nice somehow if they could have, from my perspective, brought an Idris back somehow. That would have been nice. I would have been in there to see this. This, what I saw, I have no desire to see this. This is too kiddy for me. I'm not interested at all. It can die, as far as I'm concerned, based on what I saw. Back over to you, Afternoon. Yeah, you know, um, I didn't see the trailer. I mean, I saw it eventually, but I saw your complaints, or your concerns, as well as Claire's concerns about it. And uh, when I did eventually get to see it, I also got a chance, of course, to see, and we'll talk about, that, talk about this in a few moments, the Blade Runner sequel. If, if there's anything you can say, I'm pretty sure that uh, the captain would agree with me. If there's anything you can say about Blade Runner, this sequel, it was Blade Runner. It had the tenor of the original film, which is very difficult to do. 35 years later, it's still it, – and I have, my, I have my issues with Blade Runner, and I will get into that. But as far as the, the look and the tenor of the film, it's, it is the Blade Runner world, and that's half the battle when you do a sequel. With this, from what I can tell, perhaps things could change, but I think Guillermo del Toro, who I have a, I have a great deal of admiration for, I, I like – what he does. Uh, everything he does isn't necessarily perfect, but he does have a certain look and style when it comes to this, this uh, popcorn stuff. And he's a geek at heart. He is into this. He's into this culture. So there's, there's, cer- there's a certain, certain cues he's going to rely on that he knows will communicate to the geek audience. Um, you just can't have you know you just can't give the reins to someone else for a film and and excuse the tenor of the last film what made the last film uh unique or popular i mean you had to, in order to even get to to the second film you have to appreciate the first film and i don't see that with this this trailer there there was something about even the way that it was it was it wasn't as light it was a little darker I'm talking about uh, as far as the camera work, and that that helped. You know, when you saw the um, the Jaegers first appear on screen, and they're they're uh, they are actually walking onto a beach. You know, just the way it looked, it looked like the real deal. I mean, you know, you, you're looking at. I think I think I think Kirk, you were with Kirk. I think we, we did the Inner Sanctum for Pacific Rim. 
I'm pretty sure we 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 all saw it together. That's correct. And I remember I, we were. I mean, there were some 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 things about it that were a little hammy, maybe. But it was, we really were, were in all the film. We we thoroughly enjoyed what we had seen. I mean, we were talking about well, you know, listen, this is got they got to connect this to to, to uh, Godzilla and you know the kaiju's and that you know you're already in that world. So I was like, okay, we're ready to rock and roll. And you had Ron Perlman in there, and and uh, just like the captain said, you thought Ron Perlman was a goner. So, I mean, it may be more succinct when it comes down to uh, Idris Elba, the way, the way that he died, but you never know. Because we thought that, again, Mr. Perlman was a goner, goner too. And he came back, I think at the closing credits, towards the end, he came back. So, uh, I don't know what to think. I, just, I, I do feel like it looks, it looks so generic. Pacific Rim really was unto itself. Now it looks like it's going into this whole, as the captain said, it looks a little bit like the Transformers, uh, but the quality, maybe because, it's, because of way, the way it's lit, maybe the cost to do this, I don't know. Something is off between one and two, and it's so bright. It looks, it looks Power like... Power Rangers, Power Rangers. Power Rangers, like Power Rangers. Man in Suit. Man in Suit, which we, we, we you know, we, it's beloved for those... Um, those films in Japan, those Toho films, but I don't want to see that in 2017. When it came out a few years ago, the initial one, I, I was, you, I was, I was in. It looked believable, and and you know that uh, Del Toro, uh, Del Toro, especially going back to like Blade Two, which is one of my favorite films up for the franchise. Three can go, you know, but one and two, but two specifically. Guillermo has a certain eye, and he brings that that somewhat freakishness. To his work um, Again I think there's going to be A, a uh, JLA Dark Dealing with the The uh, magical Or supernatural heroes of the DCEU um, I, you know, He was excited about that It's one thing you have a, a director That wants to dig his teeth into something He was excited about it All of a sudden They might have, remo- they might have removed him from that film and, the, and when you remove the director from a film, you remove the tenor from the film. So somehow that didn't happen with Blade Runner. Did not happen. We'll get into that. But, um, Claire, what are your impressions of this trailer? I don't know. If, did you see the first Pacific Rim? Of course. Mm-hmm. I have it. I have it. So I watched all the behind-the-scenes stuff. And Guillermo is truly a unique director. I mean, he he's the kind of guy that he has, like, journals, journals of notes of how he wants the characters and the backstory and the emotional arc, and, every, and then he'll draw sketches of what he wants the creatures to look like. He has the whole thing outlined, and, and he just has it's, – it's just the way his brain works. It's truly remarkable. So as soon as I found out that he wasn't going to be directing Pacific Rim Uprising, I already knew that this was going to happen. I already knew. Because so much of what we see in his work is very personal in terms of stylistic choice. It's his signature you know, on every film that he does. And that's why, and of course you can see it in his upcoming thing, uh, the trailer for Shape of Water. 
you can tell, oh, yeah, this is definitely a Guillermo del Toro movie. Just like with the first two Hellboys, very much in his tone, his style, it's just kind of the, the artistry, kind of like this gothic, creepy, but interesting and yet fun and playful. And it's so much of just him that he throws himself into in, into the work. So if he's not going to be directing, then, of course, it's going to be a completely different film because you can't replicate that, you know? And so when I saw the trailer for, for uh, Uprising, I mean, I'm not going to say that it looks terrible. It looks serviceable. It looks average. It looks like paint-by-numbers in terms of, you know, a younger audience and catering to little kids, you know? It does absolutely. As soon as you guys said it, it totally reminded me of when I was watching back in the day when we were kids, you know, Power Rangers and just the whole, you know, it just feels very hokey. It feels cheesy. It feels very young. This is definitely a movie geared towards kids, towards children. And the thing about Boyega is that, yeah, I mean, he would be the guy that you would cast if he was to be the leader the authority figure to people that are 14 years old. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Because he is not old enough and he doesn't have the gravitas to really be, in my mind, on that same level of a, of a, of a militant, you know, powerful leader, that, that intensity, that experience, that weight that uh, the the presence that, that Idris Elba has. I mean, that's just a given. That's just a given. These two men are in very different places in their lives, and they just overall have different uh, energy, different essence. One is clearly more hardened, and one is more youthful and more bright. So, okay, just like Cap said, I mean, he nailed it. This is clearly a completely different movie, and it's geared towards a much younger demographic. They just decided to go a whole other direction with this franchise, you know, because to them, to Warner Brothers and Legendary, when they did the partnership for this for this film, they felt that the movie didn't do well. And that's true. Ultimately, it, it didn't do that great. I mean, it wasn't, like, terrible. Sorry, I got someone <laughs> revving up their engine right outside my window here. Let me step over here. Um, you know, it just... I understand that what they're trying to do is re-strategize, try to maximize the amount of profits and merchandising and toys and shirts and whatever crap that they can sell, you know. If you can't sell movie tickets, sell some toys. So I get it. I get it. But I'm disappointed. But I was already through my disappointment when I found out that Guillermo was off the project or that he was just kind of taking a backseat role consulting because i it's like okay it's not going to be the same in any way in any way the whole thing looks cheesy the whole thing looks like it's for a 12 year old audience definitely not for us yeah it's funny when you were talking claire i just realized that a lot of i said it but it became more um more pronounced when you were talking about it that guillermo part of guillermo's look his eye is a lot of his stuff is dark. I mean, just visually it's darker. I mean, something like that 
makes a difference. I mean, they make the they they make these connections and complaints when they talk about the tenor of the DCEU, especially um, super, uh, Superman, who has uh, who is a, a a bright light style hero versus Batman, who's more macabre and dark. I mean, that you know the visual the visual of the films have to connect with the, the characters. Uh, you wouldn't want to see a a well lit Gotham. You know, it just would it would be crazy. So, uh, in looking at when you think of the films that you mentioned that Guillermo was connected to, like the Hellboy films, I mean, it's Hellboy. The, the films are always dark. This, uh, this, this uh, the, the latest film that's coming out now, that, which I guess is a remake of the uh, Creature of the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. It looks it looks dark. I mean, just everything looks kind of just like it's indoors. It's nighttime. It's raining. It's it's in it's it's underwater. So his his uh, visual eye goes to that direction, and even looking at the first Pacific Rim, it really wasn't a bright film. You know, he Not still was putting all. in his. He was still Not putting at all. But in. But the thing is, is that with all of his, and when you, I mean, I'm telling you, with a lot of the back behind the scenes stuff, that's what makes it so fascinating. Is especially for directors like him who are really like auteurs. You know, they really do have a unique vision as to how they want things to be executed. He's so hands-on with the design elements of everything, of the creatures, of how big their wings flap, their, their, their teeth, the shape of the eyes, the head, the, the skeleton, the shape, the mechanics, the mechanics and, and the logistics of the Jaegers of the robots and how they interface with the humans in, in, the, in the base, in the, um, under the helmet. Like literally everything in terms of size and scale has been meticulously crafted, calculated, and it just, that level of attention to detail, it shows. It shows, but it's still stylistically, yes, he is dark, but not so heavy-handed because the first Pacific Rim did have a lot of fun. It had a lot of some goofy moments. It had some silly moments. It, it's still fun. Hellboy, it's dark, right? But they're still playful. These characters are still playful. We still kind of we enjoy them. We enjoy uh, Ron Perlman, you know? Um, it's just I feel like this movie, uh, Uprising, <sighs> I get it. They're just trying to change the whole direction of the, of the franchise. And, you know, that's fine. I guess <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if the kids come we'll out see, to play. We'll see if it works. I know uh, Sean Sean Christopher of the Sean Christopher Show uh, in our chat room. He says, "Just watch the trailer without sound." Yeah, this is a choice to gear to gear the franchise to a younger audience. It is a smart move. P.S. Not a fan of the first. Um, well, we will see if it's a smart move. I guess my feeling is is that what made the first film beloved by by many, not everyone, it's not everyone's cup of tea. But uh, for those who did like it, and I was, and, and Claire is right, it crawled to it crawled box office wise to being successful. Now I remember that it was one of those films that people just assumed was going to do very well, but it did have to be a certain benchmark, and that when China came into the play into play, that's when it, it became a profitable movie. But that that juggernaut that one would assume would be the case for a film in this genre, but I just feel that when they start doing these, these tweaks 
it takes away the premise of the film. But by just the, the the trailer making it look so bright, it gives off a campier just the, just the visual, a campier uh, textbook play by the numbers, uh, Power Rangers situation that maybe may not be the best move. And I'm just I'm just saying. So we, we we will see. It's debatable if I will see this thing. Because I really love the first one, and it doesn't feel like the first one to me. Let, let's let's move forward uh, again. Um, Daryl, I would assume, is is uh, in the middle, and I was relying on him to discuss Comic Con a bit more thoroughly because again, uh, I was there, I wasn't able to see much. <laughs> you got to get there at a certain time to see everything. Last last year I was able to dig on in. This year was a lot of things. Well, you know what? There's some ancillary stuff I can talk about. Maybe if we have enough time, I'll go into some other, other things, uh, diversity issues that I noticed that um, we're, in a, we're in a weird place. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, I will try to revisit some of the other things that I noticed at New York Comic Con. Um, all right. You know what? Let, let's, let's go to a quick Herbalt because I want to go into this, into this uh, Blade Runner sequel deal. And I will not. We will not give any tra- any uh, spoilers. Pardon me, because you know, listen. It just came out a few days ago. I want folks to look at it. Uh, the box office isn't looking looking that great, but at the same time, the first one in the box office was well, a box office wasn't that great, and maybe it might be a a uh, a sleeper or a slow crawl to success because the um, the reviews on the film have been have been quite good. No, very few bad reviews. So, I'm I'm hoping that it is profitable, or be, it it will become profitable. But I think it's it's one of those true cerebral sci-fi films. I mean, true cerebral sci-fi films. Matter of fact, some of the complaints that some people have that some people have had about Discovery, I'm listening to. Because I can't discount something that is plausible. And there's some things about Discovery, as far as what science fiction is supposed to be, that, I mean, again, we're only at episode four coming up today. But I had to sit back and say, okay, wait a minute. The, crit- the criticisms might be on to something. And with Blade Runner, Blade Runner, again, with some of its faults, still was true science fiction. So, we'll get into it. Uh, quick two minutes, take a breather, and then we're going to dig into Blade Runner 2, 2049. This is Gavin Turek, Birdie Bees, Birdie Bees. We'll be right back. Let's groove.
All right, time constraints, pulling out the phaser once again. That is actually an artist out of Claire's Haunting Grounds, Los Angeles. This is Ms. Gavin Turek. She has, you know, it's Gavin, but her name is, I checked her out. It's a woman. Ms. Gavin Turek, Birdie Bees. All right, folks, uh, I see that our, our resident cinephile, cineast, is waiting. We'll bring him in in a few moments. Uh, Chicago's own, Chicago's finest, Sergio Mims. Um, we're going to dig in deep talking about the sequel to 1982's Blade Runner. Um, I was obsessed with this film. I purchased this film over and over again. Before streaming became a thing, long ago, when folks were buying DVDs, I, was, I had a DVD addiction. I can't say how many DVDs that I have that I probably need to get rid of because now everything is truly digitized. But anyway, I, I believe I have maybe two or three versions of Blade Runner. Uh, there's, the last one I bought was a Blu-ray that was in an actual like silver case. And I was just, just the, the look of the film, the, the way, again, we're talking about 1982 where CGI was really not anywhere near where it is today. And yet, the way that that film was, was um, the cinematography was amazing. And again, still holds up. It's just like talking about um, uh, Metropolis. That Metropolis, the silent film, uh, it, it, was, it's, it had a look that influenced George Lucas that it, how you ended up getting Star, Star Wars is through Metropolis. So, um, Cap, what were your impressions? We'll all dig in deep. I'll pass the mic around. Let me, let me bring back uh, Claire, of course. What were your impressions first, first, of Blade Runner? First, first I, I got to go into the, this preamble, all right, as far as consciousness is concerned. Now, you know, I wouldn't be the captain unless I do this. Then I'll get into, do Andrea always dream of electric sheep? That's what it allegedly, theoretically, and definitely was adapted from the Blade Runner. So, now, here's the thing. All right? Now, I'm, I'm going to just point these people. I am going to point these people, the scientists, in the direction. Okay? Now, you, you might say, how the hell can someone like you point university-trained scientists in the right direction? Well, I wouldn't be the captain if I couldn't do that. So, now, let me tell you what you scientists need to look at. Look at the Russian research on bioplasm and soul fluid, okay? The Russians actually did research on soul fluid. The nucleus of the cell generates the soul. That's by the by. Then you go from there, you have to look at shamanism. So now we're going out of the box, out of the box to manifest in the box, wave to particle mechanistic. This is for the scientists. Don't worry about this. And within shamanism, they talk about assemblage points. And within shamanism, they talk about what makes an inanimate object an inanimate object? It's within that. Then you go from that to the groundworking work, the groundbreaking work, excuse me, of Professor Higgs with the Higgs boson and the Higgs particle, which allegedly, theoretically, strong possibility is equivalent to the assemblage point. Now you keep going. You go to the Penrose mathematician one of the best mathematicians in the modern-day era. He tried to define consciousness with a mathematic equation, with mathematic equation. He got part of the story. 
when he started doing, you know, mathematics and explaining microtubules, part of it. What he did get down perfectly is touring, the mathematics on touring. And what I will say in respect to touring, any real AI will outsmart a human in respect to that touring. That's a bunch of bullets. Then you have to look at quantum mechanics. Then, after you look at that, you have to look at the quantum vacuum. Then, after that, you scientists, you have to look at Professor Van der Hoop's work, which, where he said that all information space, two dimensions. This is why, according to Sally B, Sally B is in a sanctum, and for you chauvinistic males, he's a computer scientist. He has a degree in it. So take that, you chauvinistic males. That's a woman. She said her teacher told her there'll be no such thing, there is no such thing as a true AI because AIs operate on information base. Well, the reason why I would say that is because they write long-winded algorithms to try to fake intelligence. There's no higher dimensionality. And here's a joke, too, again. In some computer classes, the teacher will say, well, the computer doesn't have a soul. not supposed to be saying that if a soul doesn't exist. So, again, the teacher is talking about out the box and manifest in the box. So that's your information. When you study that for two years, then you can come back and then you can start to define it. But if you just stay from a mechanistic in-the-box standpoint, you're going to get that as scientists. The information is out there. I just gave you the information. Threw it out in the newsphere. Now you go define it. Do what you do, scientists. Now let's talk about the boobies. <laughs> let's talk about the boobies. I thought that this movie was very well done. It was a good movie. I didn't think it was a masterpiece. I didn't think it was a masterpiece. The first one definitely, in my opinion, was a masterpiece. Mainly not so much at the given time when people probably watched it. It became a masterpiece, I think, later because so much sci-fi comes out of Blade Runner. You see? The original, 1982 version. There's a lot going on. But that was still a better movie, though. Still a better movie. Music, the interaction, you know, it was still a better movie. This year, I didn't really care for the ending, you know, with this, with this movie here. I'm not going to reveal anything. You know, there were some complaints that people had about, well, you know, there's not really any black people. Well, the truth be told, based on a movie, let's go back to the first one, 1982. Who did you have in the movie? You had, you had white people. You had a lot of Asian people. The people that were left on earth were the worst of the worst. They were the filthy humans. That's it. You're nothing. You didn't really make the grade. That's really ultimately what it's really about. Now you, now you go fast forward. You have two black people in here, and I call them filthy money blacks because, you know, they had some money going on. They were doing some shenanigans, you know, the equivalent of money, the equivalent of money. Let's just leave it like that. They were doing some shenanigans. But whoever was left more or less on earth, that's, just, that, that, that's the worst of the worst for most part, you know. The better people left wherever they went to. So that helps explain that. Some people might not agree, but that's in the movie. You go back and look at the first one, the same thing pretty much in the second one. You know, so without explaining too much, after maybe a couple of more weeks, I'll explain deeper as far as the plot points and all this other stuff, character development, yada, 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 and all that other type of stuff. 
I thought overallly, overall that it was a good movie. The ending was weak, but I understand why you did the ending the way that you did. And it was shot incredibly well. Okay? Just like the first one, out the box. You're not going to see that on a regular basis, what you saw going on screen. So that being said, I'll pass it back over to Afrener. Let him dig in. Yeah. Um, well, again, some of the complaints, you have to, the complaints have to take a back seat, some of them, only because when it comes down to what the, the – I wouldn't call it a masterpiece, but I think it is an excellent film – if it, if you only if you only leave it at the tenor of the film, I mean, being able to recapture a film from 30 years ago is not easy. Usually, as you can see, hell, a film that was made two or three years ago, like Pacific Rim or any of these other films, see, you see the shenanigans that go in trying to go back into a film when you have these suits, the corporates coming in. And they, they, they make their, their chess, piece, chess piece moves to satisfy the bottom line. And sometimes satisfying the bottom line is difficult when you're talking about art. Uh, in this case, I think what happened was that Blade Runner was so beloved and so hyper-analyzed over the years. And what the captain referenced as well is that, for the most part, Philip, Philip K. Dick, the author who died relatively young, I think in his late 40s, early 50s. He died before he, he was able to see what he gave birth to, that really a, a large swath of modern science fiction relates back to his work, especially do androids dream of electric sheep. Uh, hell, there's a, a, a um, British TV series that is out now of the same name. That goes into his short stories of the of these different versions of the future, this this dystopic versions of the future. So it's it's hard, and it's another thing too. I think because of because I think it took a thirty million dollar takedown this weekend, and that can mean a lot of things. I mean, you know, if you're looking at it from the lens of a straight sci-fi thriller. The average person will look at that and say, listen, you need a, you need a $70 million takedown. You need a $100 million, $100 million takedown. But again, this is, a, this is a cerebral thing. And many of these cerebral films that take uh, kind of a slow boil, sometimes it, it may be out longer because people are just – it's a different kind of film. Like heavy dramatic pieces oftentimes are not expected to have a $100 million takedown. They, if they're happy to get twenty five, thirty, forty million dollars, and then they, and then it breathes because people word of mouth, and it has such a high review rate. So anyway, I think um, for for people who are cinephiles, people who are real sci fi heads, they may appreciate this sequel. But for folks that, I mean, again, we're talking about 1982. There are folks that weren't even born in 82 that just don't have the same reverence for the film. And, I, you know, I don't recollect there being a heavy marketing campaign for this film. I mean, I, 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 we all exist in social media and 
on the internet. But I mean, as far as like outside of that, I, I don't know if I don't, I didn't get the feeling that it, that, that the push was really there. And I think that uh, again to the success of Philip K. Dick, Philip K. Dick's work permeates just about everything in current science fiction. So to someone who was born post that era from the seed that he planted, this might look this might look like nothing really special. We talked about the, the diversity issue, and I, I got into a little bit of a, a dust up. And I usually don't engage people too much on the internet, uh, at least at least beyond Twitter. But I was on YouTube, and there were um, uh, I forgot the young lady's name. Her show, I think it's called. I think it's called. I don't. I don't. Rem- I can't remember her name. Anyway, uh, she re- did a review, a spoiler review. And a, and a non-spoiler review of Blade Runner. And there were quite a few folks, and, even, and, even, and shout out to her for her mentioning that she noticed the object, objectification of women in the film. And we kind of sort of saw that in the first film, but it was more in this film, I, I felt. And again, you're talking, to, you're talking to Captain Reptile. And even, but I have to be honest. I can't just be completely reptilian when I look at things. I have to be logical. So I'm looking at this thing, and I'm seeing a few ads with, with uh, naked women. You know, it's the future. There's holograms, and they're walking around. Some of them are like 20 feet tall, 30 feet tall. I mean, that part is cool if that's ever the future. Not so much about the nudity part, but just the fact that that's, you know, you see these holograms walking around. They're like giants just to advertise stuff, but they were always nude women. And I said, as much as I don't want to see uh, a, a scantily clad dude, um, you have to be honest about the future. The future should have had that for women or, for, or whatever your, um, your, your uh, preference is. You, you got to be if – th- if you can think of the synthetic humans – and artificial intelligence in the in, in the you know 2049 you got to move forward with it we're moving forward now so i'm i'm at a loss as to why we we there's certain things that that we we were going backwards and and we talked about this before uh, based on the trailers based on some of the short stories short films pardon me um preceding 2049 I, we could kind of sort of tell that this really wasn't a racially or ethnically immersed film. And again, 2049 in real time is the actual date that, that, that many social scientists reference as far as really being a majority-minority world. We're practically there now. But 2049 is, is kind of the year where you're supposed to be looking at immersion. And I didn't really get that sense in this film. So that, that turned me off. But the acting was superb. But looking at it, but again, looking at as good as Jared Leto was, as good as um, Harrison Ford, a mature Harrison Ford. I mean, everyone did their part. Dave Bautista Dave was underutilized. You know, he had a small, a small arc, a small, not even an arc, like a small thing and then uh you really get to see how good of an actor he is with the short film the short film that you that 
wasn't really privy to, to, to major audiences. So I'm confused on that. But there are several short films that are connected to this Blade Runner that show more diversity. But when it comes down to your, you know, your, your time to shine, you're not really given that. So that, that was disturbing 35 years after the original. And, we're all, and we are truly living in diverse times. Anyway, I'm going to pass the mic to Claire. I don't know if Claire got a chance to check out Blade Runner. Um, any thoughts about Blade Runner? Or what you, even if you didn't see it, any, any, what you've heard about it thus far? And we're bringing Sergio in a minute. Um, I have not seen the movie yet. Um, I will see it probably in the next couple of days. Um, it's been kind of a crazy week. I, I'm very curious. Absolutely, I'm very, very curious, but I'm also disheartened. So I'm, I'm, I'm bracing myself. Not only am I bracing myself for a movie that is two hours and forty-three minutes. I'm bracing myself because of everything that I've heard in terms of what you've already, what you guys have already touched on, in terms of twenty-foot-tall you know, vaginas and, and, and breasts and, and the lack of color and, and whatever. I mean, I'm just bracing myself because I know that there are going to probably be some elements that will maybe put me off a bit. And I just want to be ready because I, I've also heard on the flip side that cinematically, you know, taking away all of the social politics and and what have you. The cinematically it's very beautiful. Um the the D P the, the the director of photography, the cinematographer is uh like been nominated a bunch of times, I mean highly respected in the industry. Um I I'm very intrigued by this particular director, the Villeneuve. I mean he he's now the hot, you know, property, you know, the the, the new kid on the block who's just coming out swinging with movies like Sicario, Arrival, Prisoners. You know, he just he he has a very uh interesting style and and tone that he in you know infuses into his work. So, I'm I'm definitely curious. I'm definitely going to see it. But in terms of everything you guys have kind of touched on and everything I've heard already, I'm just trying to just I'm just being ready for <laughs> Four things that I know might might annoy me, might upset me, but at the same time, it's like these are things that have been going on within the entertainment industry for how long? A hundred years since its inception, in terms of the ob- objectification of women or the erasure of people of color. And I've heard every excuse in the book, especially in the last two years. Within the last two years alone, I have heard so many excuses and justifications and rationalizations as to why this story does not allow anybody of color in, in it to be represented. I've heard every possible excuse as to why, oh, well, you see, the ghost is Asian, but the shell is white. Or you see, in this movie, in the future, everybody is now all okay. I, I'm 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 done. I'm done. I don't. I I just don't care anymore. Because every 
at every turn, they're going to come up with a new reason, a new reason why we don't belong. We cannot be seen. We cannot be visible. We cannot be included. We can't play in their sandbox. We can't tell the story. We can't even be in the story that we're the ones, you know, dressing. We're just props. We're just design. We're just, you know, flavor. But I'm I, I'm done. I, I don't care. I don't care. I'm just going to see it because I know ultimately I'm very curious. I like the first film. I'm a sci-fi nerd, so it's kind of my, you know, curse. my obligation. <laughs> um, yeah, my curse. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'll take a look. I'll take a look. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely aware of what's been said. And I, I got to say this, and this is what, why I ended up mixing it in, and I really should not have done that. I'm going to bring Sergio in in two seconds. Uh, mixing it up with these folks on YouTube, no less, because, again, uh, you, you know this woman, um, not personally, uh, not not personally, Claire, but who is it? She has she talks about movies and comic book stuff. Blonde haired. Do you know what I'm oh, talking yeah. about? Comic Comic Book Girl 19. No, not that one. No, she's uh, she talks about movie screen something or for the, something screen. Oh, Screen Junkies? No. You know what? I'm, I'll, look, I'll find it. I'll, I, she's somewhat popular. I think she's got like 700,000 subscribers. Anyway, uh, I, I applaud her for bringing out the fact that she said that this is the future. You know, women were kind of put in, put in a certain position that she did. You know, you, you did see – technically, you did see people of color around, but they were they were just kind of – you know they didn't they didn't really have any any real any real meat to the story and even you had Robin Wright and you know we saw Robin Wright in Wonder Woman and she plays yet another authoritative figure Not, again i can't take anything away from the actors that they had i mean these actors were were really top notch but i could also equally see for their positions in the film um for instance, Robin Wright was Ryan Gosling's superior. You could have had an Asian woman, an Asian male, a black male, black woman, a Latino, a La- Latina. This, it, just, it, just, it, it just didn't make it – it wouldn't have taken anything away from the film. Even Jared Leto, Jared Leto was a beast. You could have had anyone of color with that. I mean it, you could have really – you could have had this completely, a completely immersive film. It would not have taken anything away from from the film. It wouldn't have it wouldn't have taken the film away from its intent. It would have still been Blade Runner in every way. And actually, it might have done better at the box office if you put more folks of color front and center. Then people would have been attracted to that. But I think to see another somewhat bland film. I mean, as far as what people may think to be bland, it wasn't bland. But that's what people may say is when when you don't do the immersive thing. But on when I was on YouTube, you had people that were saying, oh, you know, why is she talking about diversity? They had, you know, somebody was Cuban, somebody was Dutch. Uh, they had diversity in there. Um, they don't they understand. Did. Some people, what, what, well, what they're saying is, what we say is some people ethnically may be one thing, but they code as white. That's a whole different situation. Very true. Okay. Very true. They, 
like the, the, there was a character, and this is one of the things that I liked about Blade Runner, this iteration of Blade Runner, is they went further into the technology. It's one thing to be a replicant. It's another thing to be a hologram with, a, with AI capability. What it, so so and I, and I, I don't want to tell too much about the plot line, but there, it goes more into AI and what, what – more into these, these personalities and the technology and what they mean, even beyond the replicants. Again, Ryan Gosling's AI uh, paramour could have been a woman of color, easily. That's why I think some of this is boiling down to this box office thing. You can't, you really can't do this kind of film anymore. You really can't. There's a, there's a reason why these Fast and Furious films are billion dollar franchises, because they feel like the world today. But I'm going to pass. I'm going to open up to, to, to Sergio. But I got to give it up. That film was amazing to look at. I mean, it was. I was like, I can't believe this is so much. It, it it really seems like a legitimate sequel to Blade Runner. So for that alone, I can't take anything away from it beyond that. Let me bring in Sergio. Serge, what's up, man? Yes, hello. How you doing? <laughs> I'm pretty good. Pretty hello, good. everyone. Uh, before you begin, I still buy and collect DVDs, Blu-rays. As a matter of fact, I'm sitting in the room in my house where I have my DVD collection. I have mm-hmm. run out of space. I, I know the feeling. That, that's why. That's why I have things. a certain. That's why I have a certain love hate with for them, Serge. I, I the space thing is it's it's a bit much. And also, I need the physical product in my hand. With with streaming, you don't get the extras like the commentaries, the making of stuff, and also the fact that um, um, the quality is still better. Yeah. to streaming. The quality is still better. And besides, I got a huge monitor. I, I got a huge monitor. I got to see a big, you know, uh, not a computer. But I, I don't know what to add that you all have added into the fact that it's an amazing film. It is stunning, but still, the problem is that we're talking some 50 years. I'm sorry, 30 years into the future, and it's still basically all white. And it just—it struck me. It doesn't seem to strike any of the other critics, but it struck me. Um, I am surprised how badly it did this weekend. I thought for sure it was going to do twice what it did. Um, it did not. Uh, as a friend of mine told me today, with well, Sergio, you got to keep in mind that um, he said he says there are a lot of people who have never seen the original. And right, maybe 35 years is too long a stretch between sequels. You have a whole generation, maybe two, who have never seen the original. So this new film really doesn't mean anything to them. And like the original, the original film was a flop. Um, And also, as you mentioned, as I wrote today, that Blade Runner, the original film, has been so copied and has been so, you know... um, has been such an influence in so many movies. The fact of the matter is that um, uh, 2049 doesn't look new. It looks old hat. It looks, uh, well, I've seen, been there, did, uh, seen there, done that. So maybe that wouldn't have an appeal to younger people. Um, I go back to what you were talking about earlier, the movie, um, uh, the sequel to um, Pacific Rim. 
And I recall the first movie, I took the daughter of a friend of mine, who was a teenager then, and she loved the picture. She's now, I think, 22 years old, and this sequel, I know, would definitely not appeal to her at all. Her movie tastes have changed. She now prefers movies such as Moonlight, more serious pictures. You know, a film like Pacific Rim uh, wouldn't appeal to her anymore. You know, as taste change, audiences change. As audiences grow older, your taste in movies change. So, um... Maybe it wasn't supposed to be. They spent a lot of money on it on 2049, but um, a lot of money. But uh, it's not even going to clear $100 million now in the United States. And so far, it's kind of also underperforming overseas as well. Yeah, well, you know, I think also, Serge, and I think I hinted at this, is that Blade Runner is kind of a cerebral film. And it, it made me actually rethink some of uh, – some of the critique levied against um, Star Trek Discovery. Because I, I liked Star Trek Discovery. I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from it. I'm excited to see the fourth episode. I'm, I'm in. But after looking at some reviewers with their somewhat negative review about Discovery, one of the key components about Discovery that they, that they pointed out that I had to admit was that uh, a chief tenant of, of Star Trek deals with allegory, deals with that lesson, that when you visit a, when you visit a planet or, vi- or you encounter a new race and you find out their mores may be different to your mores, I mean, there's always some kind of lesson to be learned that, again, it's science fiction. It's not really action. But over the last couple of years, this Kelvin version of Star Trek has been more action-oriented and not really about, about learning anything. So I said, "Damn, they're kind of on." I, I, I can't, I can't deconstruct what they say about Star Trek. Every Star Trek episode is based on some new lesson to to learn. This new Star Trek is not going there. I mean, at least it is. It's not giving us that now. Now it's giving you action, and that's not really science fiction. Now, whereas Blade Runner, Blade Runner is a a, a two two hour and forty four minute thing, and I have I have patience. I don't mind like looking and learning and listening and figuring out stuff and my brain working. Well, why did he say that? What does that mean? And making connections. But a lot of this, this many who are you know many fans of movies, I don't know if they have the patience for that kind of thing. Well, it's you can stuff. argue that sci-fi films have never been huge box office hits. I mean, they have been very influ- influential and have really um, been um, a force in film, in movies. But when you think of big box office movies, and, and you know, you say, well, what about Star Wars? Well, Star Wars is just a mystery, and it's action-oriented, and it's it's very simple, you know, it doesn't really have a lot of comp- – those films don't really have a lot of complexity to them. Unlike a film, say, yes, Ex Machina, a movie that came out, was it a year or two years ago? Highly praised. People who've seen the film love it, but it was nowhere any kind of box office hit. Um, but everybody who saw it, who appreciated that kind of movie, really loved it. Um, so it, it may have been that. I think maybe they spent too much money on it. 
Maybe it could have been done for cheaper. Uh, as I said, that 35-minute year gap, I think, also hurt it in some way. And also, as I wrote, as you mentioned, the lack of color in the movie. You know, as we know, Lenny James is wasted in that film. Um, Wood Harris is in it for five seconds. Um, you, you know, it, it doesn't play nowadays. That kind of stuff does not play nowadays. This is a, this is a new day, as they like to say. And so you can't do a sci-fi movie. You can't do, really, you can't do any kind of movie that's now all white. Yeah, sure, that was in 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, 70s, 80s. Okay, it's different today. Um, uh, so um, I think that hurt it a lot. You know, Robin White's character easily could have been played by a person of color. I really expected Jerry Leto to be paid by it, most logically, an Asian actor, because since the movie gives the premise that it's an Asian economy, since we have these Asian signs everywhere, you know, advertising everywhere, that the most powerful person would be someone of Asian descent. No, they get Jerry Leto. Why? You know. So well, well, um, you know, well, well sir, it's funny you bring it up because because I thought that as well, and and again, it has a lot to do. With, uh, if you have all these different people of color, and and when you use, you know, for, for these folks that are on the Trump bandwagon, that when they hear this kind of identity, they use terms like identity politics, SJW, uh, diversity. All these terms now are becoming code words or bad words. It, it, they're they're trying to uh, fashion this as a anti-white argument, and it's not about being an anti-white argument. What I'm talking about is when you have different um, different color schemes for a film, and you have you have an, a, a, an Asian cat or or a young lady coming in, or an older woman. I mean, you could there's so many more dimensions you could have put for the Jared Leto role that would have given it flavor. That not that he's not taking anything away from his his ability, but you got to have different looks, different voices, different perspectives to make the damn film interesting. But to have the same color palette, whether that's uh, ethnically, racially, or or just socially, it in this day and age it, it looks it looks bland. If they put some real real like real unexpected people in a film like this, I think that film would have had made its money. Because it, it, well, you yeah, have to I make it would have done a lot I mean? better. And also the fact that um, how's this film going to play in Asia? How's it going to play in China? <laughs> you know, how's that going to be even possible? The, the thing also, the fact is that it, it turns to those people, you know, the same people who were complaining that the lead actress in Star, Star Trek Discovery was um, uh, a black actress, and you have Michelle Yeoh. Look, you know, these people are the biggest losers on the planet. They're fighting a battle that's already been lost. As I said, I think it will be a whole lot better if they got laid for the first time in their lives. That's really what it comes down to. Well, the had a bunch of losers I've ever seen. They just had another rally in in, in uh, Charlottesville. Jesus Christ. So, um, uh, yeah, it's a missed opportunity. And also another thing that hurt was that Warner Brothers, the studio stupidly, Make critics and people, you know, we didn't have to sign them, but we had to write these things. We had to agree to this, to this agreement that we couldn't reveal anything about the movie. 
any particular plot points, even though it's a lot of it's revealed in the first ten minutes of the movie, you couldn't reveal anything, right? So if you read the reviews, they're all rather vague because they couldn't write really more detail about what the plot was about. And it's the same problem that Paramount had with Mother. You can't write about what's really going on. So what happens was that they try to sell it as a horror film, which really it isn't. And um, uh, as a result, nobody knew what the hell the movie was, and that film really tanked. So, um, you know, when studios micromanage what you're tr- what you're supposed to say about the movie, it only backfires in the end. Well, and just just out of respect to the young lady I referenced, um, her show is uh, beyond the trailer. Grace of beyond beyond the trailer uh, with her YouTube channel, and it's a pretty popular channel. She as a as a woman, even though she is, although she's a white woman, she was able to see some of the effort with Blade Runner, and and, it, and again, a, a modern audience, irrespective of your ethnicity, it it turns even white. Some white, I should say, evolve white people off to not see the world that they live in. A white New Yorker who goes, who sees uh, Latin people, may have Latin friends, black friends, Asian friends, um, Middle Eastern friends, and then you just kind of see a future film that doesn't show your friends in the film, it rings hollow. I mean, if, any, if anything, it's even less about race and more about kind of coming off authentic. It comes off inauthentic when you have these kind of perfect worlds for white people only. And I, I, had, I, got, it, I got it in, I got it in with one of these, compl- these guys, or it seemed like it was a young man. He was going, going off about why, did, why, is it, why are you complaining about diversity? Uh, hell, it's so bad. Affirmative, affirmative action is, is, is bad for white people. I'm like, what? I think you say, okay, this person's a troglodyte. I can't, I can't even have it. They have a worldview that is so ahistorical. White folks well, some have, guy complained to that. Could you complain to you about that? Repeat that again. You're dealing again? with idiots Some here. guy complained to you about that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he went in, well, he you know, whenever I, whenever I hear something like that, the first thing that always comes to my mind is I hope one day that guy comes home and finds his wife in bed with two black guys. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm um, not going there with you. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but that's, what, that's where I go. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. So are you but, guys but, telling me, are you guys telling me that Blade Runner 2049 yeah. is <laughs> even less? colorful, less diverse, less inclusive than the movie that came out 35 years ago? Yeah, that's what I said that last week. That's what you're week. telling me? That's what I well, said I, last week. Remember, I, t- I called last week and I talked about it. I said, yes. That's the thing that struck me, because I had seen the film a few days earlier, and I said the number one thing that struck me is the fact that where do people color in this movie? It's all white, and we're talking 2049. You know, and here's the, uh, and there was something else too. It's the fact that it reminded me when I was a kid. I'm dating myself, but when I was a kid, when any, t- when I was w- watch TV, and a black person showed on television, it was so rare that you had to call the whole house. Mom, Dad, come quick! There's a black guy on TV. You know, there were all kind of names for it: Citizen Patrol, Soul Patrol. 
but that's how rare it was at that time. Um, people today don't won't believe that, but it was. So when I was looking at uh, Blade Runner 2049, I felt like the way I was a kid. Jeez, a black guy in here. Everybody, quick, come on and see it. You know? <laughs> let, let, let me let me let me go into let me let me go. We're gonna we're gonna go into other stuff. We still got about less than an hour, but I want to talk about the exchange so you can see what I was dealing with about this thing. Uh, one of the commenters said, Matty Molinator, I'll say his name on YouTube, uh, again under Grace's channel. Uh, he says, can't we have a film without someone complaining about diversity? That's his opening salvo. Uh, then someone says, funny, even when the complaints come, come when one of the main characters, Joy, Joy is the AI, is Cuban. Um, okay, I get that. I mean, you know, she was exotic looking, very attractive. But she codes as white. But you, but that's 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 me complaining. And I have nothing against that actress. I thought she did a t- phenomenal job, and she wasn't hard. No, but the there's eyes. another problem with her character. What do you mean? Um. Well, I'm going to go spoiler oh. here, folks. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go into that. All right. Yeah. Um, but, but if you know what I'm referring to, she's not you. Okay. Well, how can I say this? Well, I said she I doesn't said she's exist. An AI. Well, right. She, well, listen. She, she, the acting job that she did. At least she had some some meat to her role. Well, she yeah. was she was integral somewhat. But but as far as other people of color in the film, they were just like basically. I, I they were there to serve a purpose. Like I, I'm going to hand something over to you. I got to get something from this guy. I got, like the gentleman, the, the Somali guy. Okay, Somali yeah, the guy who was in Captain Phillips, uh, Baki right. is his last name. Right, right. Now, he's, he's, you know, he, he, it was just um, exposition. That's all it is. Right, like you know, uh, you know, Lenny, and the same thing with Lenny James, who is right, em- a, embarrassed at the end of the movie. And I said, now, what, why did they have to go there with his character at the end of his scene, and to, in, in effect, emasculate him? Yeah, well, that's listen. You can't t- you can't have that conversation either. But I'm going to say what, what this – in responding to this guy, and I, said, and I said, can't we have a commenter not complain about the need for diversity in a film set in the goddamn future? Uh, I got a little, you know. Dude, in 2049 real time, we'll, we'll be a majority-minority country and world. Some films should be Euro or white, say a film about Irish culture, or even the forthcoming Black Panther film about a fictional African country. But when a film about a general dystopic future – it's fair to expect an ethically and racially immersive environment 35 years after the original film. Then he's got, one person says, hoax, I, I, I don't know who, who that person is, but hoax is Dutch. And the Armas, that's the AI, is Cuban. And jury is Swiss. Now, mind you, now let me just go to this. That's why I'm saying this is effery. Swiss? Whether you're, whether you're Dutch or Cuban. We're not talking about Afro-Cubans now. Dutch Cuban and Swiss can still code as white. Obviously. Now, oh, I'm sorry, but oh, I, oh, I really want to curse. I really want to curse right I now. Know. I'm not going to. <laughs> but S, <laughs> S, 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 all that S, okay? Because this is ridiculous. It should be obvious what we're talking about, okay? And this is the same thing that we've talked about in many other iterations of people saying that, oh, the reason why I changed my name is because I wanted to be able to at least pretend, slip through the cracks. Because I'm, you know, biracial. Instead of being Chloe Wang, I want to be Chloe Bennett because it'll help me get more jobs. I can trick people into thinking I'm white. 
That's the whole point, is that if you cold as white, you're in. It doesn't matter what you are. It only matters what you look like. Swift, and let me tell you, bitch, kiss my yes, ass. I know. And let me tell you something else. I would even have, I would even have more uh, leniency to that argument if their ethnicity was integral to their role. Like, uh, I, I could tell that Armas was, was part was was of Latin origin somewhat, although she was not Afro a, a Afro Latina. Uh, but the cultural, the cultures and ethnic part that he's trying to trying to say doesn't have anything to do. Like you're not getting that in the film. You're not getting that in the film. Matter of fact, when you have uh, Edward Olmos, who's a beast of an actor, I can't again. When you have actors of color and ethnicity, when you have those who are identifiably, they are given these kind of passing glance situations. And even with, I don't know if I, can I, can I mention, well, Sean Young makes an appearance in the film too. Okay? I'm not going to say how. It, it, it is, it is um, interesting, but it, it still goes back to the, the perception of women. So uh, women must, forever be, must, be, must be forever young. White males are, are able to be heroes. They're able to grow old. I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of dimensions, a lot of false starts with this movie that are a bit annoying. That in 1982, you might not have been evolved enough to notice these things. But when you are an adult looking at these things, you're like, okay, wait a minute. Okay, we're 35 years in the future. Even the film is as futuristic as it's supposed to be, and it's in the future. Anyway, I don't want to give people the impression not to see the film. You have to see it. I mean, I almost want to see it again because I was so impressed with it because it, it is Blade Runner. I don't want to give people the, the impression. We're used to seeing sequels that don't share the tenor of the original film. This is not the case. I really, I really believe that this was a Blade Runner sequel. So that, that part, considering how beloved the first film is, if you're able to get over that, over that hump, it means something. But all they had to do was just do a couple of tweaks, and this film would have been off to the races. So check it out. I want it to be successful. Um, Hell, I'm not even sure I want to go. No, nah, don't do Shoot. that. I want you to see it. I need to let it breathe. I need to just, you know, I just need to like, sit back for a second. It was perfectly fine with all the depictions. Okay. <laughs> I see you're BSing on that one. Um, all right. Let, let's, let's, uh, let's take another break. <laughs> See these things are so we start getting we start digging in and you get a little a little extra on it. So when we get back, um, Sergio, you're welcome to stick around because I want to go into uh, well, you know, we we talk about pop culture. We're gonna go back into comic stuff and into movie stuff, but uh, I do want to touch on these these topics because well, they're topical. Um, for some reason, some black folks are upset with Jeremy Lin for, for rocking a uh, a uh, dread hairstyle i would not have even noticed <laughs> he changes his hairstyle every five minutes but i, I just don't i just i just doesn't, doesn't bother me um, i'm sorry who jeremy exactly <laughs> well you can't say exactly jeremy lee is jeremy lynn is a beast everybody well, knows well, that point. well yeah well this is new, new york new york uh basketball the knicks he was it and I, that's the matter of fact. See, it goes to show you. See, this is I'm, I'm proving my point. Sure, 
Jeremy, uh, basketball is a majority black sport. When I saw Jeremy Lin do his thing, I was buying – Kirk was there. I was buying T-shirts. I thought this, he was the second coming. He had everybody, Korean folk, Chinese people, everybody was like – he caused – he was a phenomenon. When you, when you bring somebody into a situation that isn't normally seen in that situation, it garners interest. It no longer becomes it, – it, it becomes something else. So Jeremy Lin – you know the, the Knicks didn't want to. Uh, Dolan didn't want to pay any money to keep this guy, so he goes to where did he go? He went to Texas, right? Houston, mm-hmm. Kirk, and now he's back yeah. in Brooklyn. He, well, he's back in New York in Brooklyn Nets. So uh, there's this talk of cultural appropriation. I don't. I can't. I can't buy that for everything. Some things are cultural appropriation. I can't buy it for single individuals. I'm sorry. White people have been rocking braids for 40 years. Go to go to. Uh, I'm pretty sure Claire can tell you surfer dudes have been uh, have been rocking white a white Bo blonde. Derek. Yes. Bo Derek. So, so we gonna get upset? Yeah. See, that's the first thing I'm thinking of. Bo Derek back in '79 in that movie Ten, right? Blake Edwards, exactly. So like, I mean, I don't even understand we, this conversation, and I can tell that he took stupid. it personal. That dude, he was like, "Okay, Jeremy, yeah, we get it, we get it. You want to be black?" Like he had so much aggression and anger in his voice. And listen, that's not the first time I've heard that from a black person, someone who's trying to just put up a wall between black people and Asians. And it's like, you know, I get it. It's not the first time I've come across that. But I'm just trying to dissect the argument because ultimately that just seems so trivial to be upset and to accuse someone of a cultural appropriation because of how he wears his hair. But time and time again, how many times have we seen a culture being used to dress a movie, and then the people that are actually in, indicative of that culture are not even allowed to be in the movie. Don't you think that's cultural appropriation? After the, you are yes. my reality. <laughs> and then, and then, and then we got to talk about Cam Newton. This is this is I hate to go to sports. It's really beyond sports. Cam Newton uh, dissing a female reporter, uh, a sports. Sports uh, analyst. Uh, I don't you know what I don't have the clip for that, but it was. It, that's a problematic as well. It, it really goes into where we are as, uh, in the world that no one is safe, <laughs> and everyone is is an a hole. I'll get into that too. That that story isn't isn't as clean as we like it to be. I'm not really a Cam Newton fan. Cam Newton and uh, who's the other guy I always talk about? Um, uh, they, 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 their weird way of dressing. Odell Beckham, he's another one. I have, I'm not really fans of. All right, two minutes. We're going to get back into these things. Then we'll get back to the comic stuff. But I, this is kind of cultural pop culture. It's out there. Six four six nine one five nine six two zero. Six four six nine one five ninety six twenty. Sam Smith returns. We'll be right back. Let's groove.
Someone who probably was also accused of cultural appropriation, <laughs> UK's finest, the mighty Sam Smith returns with Prey. And um, I, I think this is what, this is what gets, me, gets me about – hold on, I'm hearing a little bit of background noise. Okay, we'll bring Sergio back in a moment. Um, this, 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 the issue of cultural appropriation is I, I don't think people know exactly what it means and how it applies and who really is able to benefit from cultural appropriation. My definition, from what I understand cultural appropriation to really mean, is that someone can take, some, can take a standard or a, um, a, a, something of cultural significance from, a, from another ethnicity, another race, and go further with it than the, than the origin. So in other words, uh, one might make the complaint 
with someone like a a um, Bo Derek at the time. That when Bo Derek was a, a a movie star, you know, for that few films. I mean, she was a hot prop seventies, early eighties. She was perceived to be this 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 beautiful woman. And, and we have to think about this: that uh, black women in the workplace and just walking around are are oftentimes met with hostility and are discouraged from wearing their hair naturally. They're not given the they're not given the Bo Derek treatment, okay? They're not given the posters and the accolades and the movie deals for having that hairstyle. When Bo Derek gets the hairstyle, it could be a million dollar check at the end of, at the end of it for looking that way that black women are, are are more known to be looking, or if anything, discouraged from looking that way. So the appropriation has its place when it comes down to. The benefits that are that are derived from that, uh, but there's also a place for natural cross pollination. In the case of Jeremy Lin, first of all, Jeremy Lin is known for, for for wearing his hair in a whole number of different styles. So this particular hairstyle is just one of a number of of, of different looks that he has. He's a young dude. He plays for the NBA. He, he's making money. Uh, if I remember correctly, he's a Harvard Harvard grad. With an economics degree, one of the reasons why I I became a, a Jeremy Lin fan was his story that he was not perceived to have been a a top flight player. He was overlooked. He was sleeping on a relative's couch. Um, because of his pedigree, because of his race, they just you know they didn't look at him as having this skill. When he got when he got the opportunity opportunity, I said, oh, this dude can ball. And actually, he was highly responsible for the Knicks actually looking like they were going to go somewhere. We haven't seen, and I'm not even a sports guy like that, but even I know, we really haven't seen the, the Knicks really do anything significant be, before and after Lynn. When Lynn was on that team, the, all of New York became, became alive. So, but the cross-pollination in this case, listen, he has black friends Black co-workers, it's understandable for him for there to be cross-pollination. Uh, Porzingis, before Porzingis, but where's Porzingis from, uh, Captain? He's from one of the um, Slavic countries, if I'm not mistaken. They have a picture of him in, in, in dreads when he was a kid, in braids. Because he was a bat, he's into basketball. I mean, it's got to be a natural course of things. It can't always be you're taking something from me. It's not taking something. If anything, it's it is uh, a type of it's, it's it's flattering for one thing, but uh, I don't see him gaining anything from it. You can't you can't get on top of someone because they're just changing their hairstyle. Now, in the case of Bo Derek, it was more than a hairstyle. It was money. It was access. It was um, movie roles. It was imagery. I don't see Jeremy Lin. Listen, he's 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 with the brothers, so I don't I don't. You can't tell him personally what to do. It's a personal decision. That, that to me is the, is the height of arrogance. Um, Cap, what are your thoughts? And also, we'll we'll go to Claire. I don't have a dog in this race, man. I don't have a dog in the race when it comes to this, man. I really don't, man. I saw the article, and I was like, okay, flip. I didn't even think about it. 
Don't have a dog in this race. I'll pass it back to you. But you know something? If I if I saw his if I I mean I saw his hairstyle right, I didn't think to I I didn't I feel like someone has to tell you to be outraged. Like I w- I wouldn't have thought anything. I would have I wouldn't have thought exactly. anything negative. I just I wouldn't say oh, that, exactly. I would have you know what I said oh I, that's Jeremy Lin. I yep, didn't even exactly. put it because there's so much. There's we're in a world where people are constantly doing things. I mean, listen, are the black players going to have their their uh, their Chinese lettering removed from their tattoos? That's true. Not at all. That's true too. Not at all. <laughs> That's true too. How deep? That's true too. <laughs> and, and, and listen, the, the the sisters that have these weaves that have to go there, where their hair's coming from. That's they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't want to hear from me. Now, the reality is, but the, but the reality is, they 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 have an argument that that they were in, they are in, they are encouraged to do that because uh, of no well you got to be honest that if a sister walks into a corporate environment looking like um uh, Angela Davis it's going to be an issue it's going to be an issue so i mean so she's you know encouraged, like, she's encouraged to put on a caucasian hair hat as you're saying blonde if any yeah, she's encouraged I, to do right. it. So and, and actually, I might encourage you to put the coke in front of you. That don't mean you gotta do it. Well, and, and, and actually, minority women in general are encouraged to do to do certain things. I, I'm turned off by looking at, at looking at uh, Jennifer Lopez with blonde streaks. I see. I've seen my fair share of black women, Asian women, Hispanic women wearing uh, blonde blonde highlights or blonde hair. To fit to fit in, but when it's reversed, you know, oh, that's cool. But my whole thing is, it cannot be cultural pro. Cultural appropriation is what are you gaining? Jeremy Lin is just I would. He's not. What is he getting? That's, that's, he, that's, he's not the problem. What Claire spoke about with roles, millions of dollars, imagery, access. That's cultural appropriation. This is like some guy is mad at somebody else. It's like me getting mad at somebody if I see that he has a, a comic book that I don't that I don't have. Come on, man. It's just, it is silly. Listen, it's very it. silly. It's, I'm making money moves. <laughs> yeah. I got That's red my bottom problem. shoes. <laughs> That's my problem. Cardi B. Any, Let's go. Any dog in this race? I don't know what to say. I mean, I just, I find it stupid. I just find it stupid. I mean, like, why are you going to get mad about something like that, about how someone, you know, you think that they stole your hair, they stole your style, you know, oh, okay, I get it, oh, you want to be black, is that it? Oh, okay, because we so cool and all, and I, listen, listen, there, I, there are many, many examples of when that is the case, you know? I remember uh, what's her name, Amanla Stenberg. Right. She's the uh, she's the girl that was in the first Hunger Games. Right. And she's a very you know she's a very intellectual young lady. I think she's like sixteen, seventeen years old. And eighteen now. Oh, okay. Um, you know she she said something, and I thought it was like so inspired because I totally get what she what she's saying and where she's coming from. Why is it okay? Why is it okay for a white woman to have black hair, you know, a black woman's hair, you know, 
weaves, cornrows, braids, this, that, and the other. Why is it okay for a white woman to have that? That looks cool. That looks stylish. That's so in vogue. That's so, oh, you know, catalog magazine. That's so artistic and so interesting and exotic and beautiful. But when you're talking about the people that actually have that hair growing out of their head, you know, Instead of people talking about, oh, well, she has such a great tan. Oh, she always goes to the tanning salon. She's got that perfect bronzer. She's got that whole, okay, well, what about the people that actually have that skin? Why is it not as beautiful naturally? So I totally understand what she said when she said something like, um, especially in regards to people in the music industry. I think that's specifically who she was referring to. And she said, I wish, she said, I'm paraphrasing, I wish people, especially white people, I wish people loved, you know, black folks as much as they loved black culture. Because ultimately that's, you know, what what he, this guy, I forgot his name, whatever, the athlete that's got a beef with Lynn, I understand the anger, I understand the attitude, I understand where it's coming from, but I feel like he's directing it incorrectly. I mean, there are so many other examples in which black culture has been appropriated, and it has been made for For profit, profit, for profit, to sell, to manipulate, to cater, to accommodate, to trick you out of your money. Because they think that that's cachet, that's cool, that's slick, that's stylish. That's what all the kids are into these days, right? That's hip. You know, but ultimately, they're just, it's a facade. And you know it. You know it's a facade. It's just a stylistic choice to make something look cool and sexy, to sell whatever your product is. But you know they're not about you. You know they're not about black culture, black people. You know that. So why are you going to get mad at this guy who's been in the basketball game? He's been in the NBA. He's 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 part of your crew. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Like, why are you going to get mad at him when he's surrounded by by people that look just like you? His friends, his closest colleagues, are he's surrounded by people who look just like you. Why are you going to get angry that out of the million times he's changed his hair, one of those hairstyles might be somewhat reflective of you. Why would you be upset about that? If anything, why wouldn't you be complimented by that? His anger well, he, is just misdirected. That's all I'm saying. And I, and I think a lot of this has to do with, again, this is an, an individual. Sometimes it's, I mean, was it, is it Kenyon, Kenyon Martin, I think? Is that who it was, Captain, that was going off? I mean, you, we can't look at these people as, like, uh, experts. I mean, that's he's entitled to his opinion. But it, so. it, it, it it rang hollow for me for him to be like, is he really that upset? Because we're talking about also a generation. You know, you have a generation where where you have people who who are we are merging. You know, we have a, a, a competing things going on. You have the old guard, which is the Trump supporters, and you have the new guard, where people are actually getting together. They're building. They're bonding. You're going to have an amalgam of cult, uh, an amalgam and enculturation, just just natural. Uh, this is something that related to me when I went to Comic Con. 
I can't I can't recollect the gentleman's name, but I might actually have him on the show. I purchased a couple of his books. A Jewish gentleman, uh, a comic book writer, and he saw my T-shirt. I, I you know I was there repping Afro nerd, so I wore an Afro nerd shirt. So the first thing he says to me, he says, Afro nerd, and he sees me, and he also sees that the that the um the the, the logo has a short hairstyle. So he says, um. Well, where's the afro? And I said, what? And he said, and he said, and he said the afro. I said, afro nerd, shouldn't it be an afro? I said, listen, afro is just a short term, is a is a shorthand for African. It's, it's a hairstyle, but it's also derivative of Africa, African origin. I wanted to nerd speak with this dude. So I said, it's a brand. It means you know, black nerd, just a euphemism. So then he goes into this whole thing about. Um, his difficulty in writing black characters that he does write black characters but it's it's hard because he doesn't want to write something that doesn't ring authentically and then he said that he knows when other whites write black characters because he, he remembers seeing a, a black character and that character used to, used, said the term oy vey. he said I know that's a Jewish guy writing a black guy because he, he, he has a guy saying oy vey. And he says, um, he says to me that that is a ring, you know. See, so we had this whole conversation. I said, listen, man, I don't know if, I don't know if a black guy would not say oy vey. He said, eh, I don't know about that. I said, listen, I use the term tchotchkes all the time. And he gave me that look. I said, I use the term tchotchkes. Uh, our communities in New York, we, 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 we live with Hasidic Jewish people. We work for, for Jewish companies. This is New York. There's going to be some overlap. I, we have friends of Latin descent where I might go into, uh, say something in, 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 in Spanish, goofing around, but it becomes a part of the lexicon. So there's this, this is constant fight with people to, to, to fight against what is natural. If you have friends that are multi-ethnic, you're going to pick up some ish from Queens. Um, Korean actress and rapper. When I heard her interviewed, she sounds like a girl from Queens, and she said she used the term "so lit." You know, I don't like anybody saying "so lit," but she's from Queens. She's like 28 years old. She has friends of all ethnicities, probably black and Hispanic friends. I would expect her to say so. I would expect for her to say "lit." I would expect that, even though it's quote unquote an urban black term. She's living in an urban environment. Why wouldn't she say that? So it, it's very um, dishonest that an, a, a, a uh, player of Asian descent played a black – and played an NBA, I would expect, his, expect him to have rock braids every once in a while. Let's move on to the next topic, next effery topic. Cam Newton dropped the ball. He's an idiot. <laughs> I don't know. You know listen. These, these football players, they may be suffering CTE. That's a, that's a real thing. I don't know. But he, he took a – just to kind of go into this quickly, Cam Newton, the quarterback for the North Carolina Panthers, um, he was interviewed, I believe, post-game. And uh, it, was a, it was a woman sports analyst that asked him a question about roots. Even I don't know about roots. Routes, roots, some something to do with gameplay. That's very thing he said was, well, 
it's kind of funny that uh, a female would ask that. I'm not. That's, that's kind of weird that a female would ask me about routes. It's just, it was just an offhanded, goofy, stupid remark. Because the bottom line is, he's like 28, 29, but we 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 have seen female female uh, sports analysts, female sports reporters for damn near 35, 40 years. I even looked this up when you saw pictures of half-naked, almost naked dudes in the locker room and female reporters asking them questions with, with uh, you know, stuff hanging around. <laughs> so uh, he's late to the game that it's odd that a woman reporter would ask him a technical question. He's way late. He's way late. However, the fact that he lost a, a, a sponsorship with Dan and Yogurt, Yogurt versus a president that grabs pee and gets the – well, a presidential candidate that becomes the president after talking about accosting women as routine. That's the part that gets me. Cap, any thoughts on that? I actually was uh, on a radio show when I spoke about this also. I'll play that clip quickly, and we'll move along. But it, it, he was, well, it was a sexist comment. Well, Cam, he's out to lunch a few times. He goes out to lunch. That's what he does. You know, he likes to lunch. Goes, he goes out to lunch with that situation, you know, from time to time. That's who Cam Newton is. He's going to go off the rails, so to speak. From time to time Once every six months <laughs> You know That was the one there So the next time He'll mess up six months from now Again That's what this guy does That's what he does He's no uh, I would say As they say Like Tom Brady Tom Brady's full of it man Oh man Cheetahs always win But he says the right things Most of the time He's, he's not like that He just lets it all go That's all You know what That's who it he is, is. This is, this is not to be funny, but it is funny. Is, is schlong, the term schlong, is that a Jewish term? Or schmeckle? I think schlong is Jewish, right? I, I, I think so. Okay. I think so. Everybody uses, because the reason why I bring it up, Willie Randolph, okay, uh, phenomenal player for the Yankees. When I was looking up this whole notion, because I'm like, okay, why is this guy actually saying this? Like, why, is, why does he think that it's unusual for a woman to be a sports analyst after? Because, I mean, I remember, I remember sports, female sports analysts as a kid. But when, when I was a kid, it was controversial in a sense of, I mean, it, listen, it was, it was, there was more uh, outward sexism towards women in the locker room. Like, it was a thing, right? But this is, this is before Jeremy Lin's time. Uh, Jeremy Lin, pardon, I'm mixing my sports. It's before... Cam Newton's time So he can't think that this Was like odd And I'm looking at an old picture Of some like (laughs) See I think there's some effort going around actually Because Willie Randolph was butt naked Schlong swinging Jewish word And the female reporter Is is like getting getting the information That was was Like in the 80s So now Cam Mm -hmm. Newton is thinking This is odd I mean, you know. It's well, however, there is a twist to this story. Go ahead, Sergio. Uh, it turns out that the woman who um, 
you know, that Cam Newton insulted has right. some skeletons of her own. It turns out that a couple of years ago she made some, posted some racist tweets that earlier this week she apologized for. Some things referring to things her father said, which she thought were funny, and then she uh, agreed to them, and she thought it was amusing. And then she made some references to the N-word herself. Um, and now she has to apologize for that, saying that while I was young, I was stupid, I didn't know. Please forgive me. Lord. So, you know, everybody's guilty here. Well, once again, and I'm going to play this clip real quick because I was on Sirius a few days ago. Um, we need to be on Sirius, but we've been saying that for years. I, I hate, Kathy, you know this. I don't want to say I hate. I don't, I, I, I'm frustrated. I was on a Laura Coates show. Laura Coates is an attorney. She's also a, a CNN analyst, right? Very well-heeled, you know, very much um, intellectual woman. But, she, but when they get into these things about sexism and um, you know, this, this man losing, losing some gigs out of it, I have to remind them, this is, what, this is what Sergio says, that you're dealing with people that are awful all the way around. It shouldn't be so easy. Well, again, what he said to this woman was like, it's just dumb. It's just dumb, and it was patently sexist, and you, lost, you probably lost a couple of million in, in sponsorship for an offhand remark. But what, what angers me, though, is that, yes, he lost the, he lost the gig, but the, 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 the uh, 45, as they say, I, you know, President Trump, I'm not going to say 45, President Trump gets to be president for being far worse. He doesn't lose anything. And when this woman, who, who we, we are, we are like getting behind her and saying, okay, you know, listen, you were wronged, when they go into, your, into the library, they, we find out you're an asshole too. I had to say that. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that easy. It shouldn't be that easy. Okay, this is Afro Nerd on Laura Coates show. Hold on. Wonderful things to say, and I'm glad that you are contributing to the dialogue today. Um, You've been waiting a long time, Desmond in New York. What do you want to say? Yes. Good morning, Counselor Coates. Good good morning, Uh, Desmond. How are you? Pretty good. If there's any consolation to you. I went to New York Comic Con yesterday, mm. so I'm not. Was Wendy Williams there? Me. Was she there? Okay. Did you I'm see sorry? Wendy? You see Wendy Williams? I heard she was there in the Wonder Woman cost- costume. I wish I did see that. I didn't. I didn't see it. Oh, I did not see her man. there. Okay. I I wish I, I, that's everything else. I love her. I could okay, talk go ahead. about Black Panther and Stan <laughs> Lee better than I could talk about Cam Newton's roots. Hey, right? you know you and you and my son who thinks he's Flash Gordon. So here you go. Yep. <laughs> okay, so he's, he's he's part of the blurred community. The, right. the bl- yes, so, the blurred. Yes, J- the Jason Johnson blurred community. That's black nerd, by the I way. Know, Go ahead. <laughs> I, I know him very well. So this is the deal. Um, what he, what Cam, Cam Newton said was offensive. Undoubtedly. It just, it just is. Right? But when you go into who he is, where he comes from, uh, the, the, lack of, of, um, the lack of equilibrium with, with our culture right now. I think um, Obama had said when he was during his presidency that we, we have a coarsening of our culture. And I think this is what's happening now, where there's such an imbalance. I don't know how you can call these things, because what he said, again, was very offensive. Or I would say mildly offensive. But then it's so easy to go into Rodriguez's uh, archives and find out that she's an awful person. Yep. Then, then you've got to go back and look at 
our president, who we, we know his story. You've been talking about this uh, since from the beginning of your program. That if the president of the United States can go there and get rewarded, but then this African-American athlete, he takes a loss. Then I, then I have to see uh, black celebrity women do this for the D and for the P challenge. Mm. When, we have, when we have stormtroopers afoot, literally, we literally have stormtroopers afoot, courtesy of Charlottesville. And we're, I'm even, we, we're asking black men, black women, and, and other ethnicities to weigh in on these things. And we get these, these, these truncated answers. Nothing and no one is truly straight up right now. Mm. All right, that's enough. I even want to hear myself like that all the time. <laughs> anyway, you need to give us the gig, Dante, right now. You sound better on this show than you do on your own show. Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> it's funny how that works, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, um, any thoughts on this, Claire? I know, you know, sports may not be your thing. It's not really my thing. So I said on that show, I said, you know, I'm, I'm more into Black Panther and Stan Lee than I am about Cam Newton. That's my thing. But, you know, he messed up, but he lost a million dollars out of it, though, or more. I mean, no doubt. He's a fool. Just an idiotic thing to say. Um not a very progressive, not a very mature, not a very, you know, even just aware thing to say. So I would not expect anything more from an athlete. That's true. Shame too. on me for lumping athletes together, but I'm just I'm just saying, I'm not expecting a road scholar. Okay? But I do understand what what your point is. I I do understand. It makes sense. It makes sense that why is it that everybody under scrutiny in this information age where everything is available online, everything is archived for us to go back into files and records and tweets and messages and everything in between, why is it that everybody else is subject to, you know, backlash, to, to losing endorsements, to having to apologize and to having to uh, attest, atone for their mistakes and their behavior. Why is it that everybody is held accountable except for the President of the United States? Yes. That's a very good question, and you make a great point. So I just want to mention that and follow up with that, even though ultimately face value, surface, this seems like a non-issue, a non-story. Some dumbass said something you know, stupid to a reporter, okay. But when you dig in, it's like, oh, but wait a minute. Everybody's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's going to have to apologize at some point. Everybody has to, you know, has to uh, has to be held accountable and has to, you know, be responsible for their actions except for the leader of the free world. Yeah, he gets rewarded. He's throw, throwing towels at Puerto Rican-American citizens. That's all right. Throwing towels at them like it's a football game or a basketball game. I mean, all kinds of wild behavior. So to me, it's like if the president is, is – and, and then you have women who share the I, part I didn't, I didn't play. I said that this woman who happened to be white, she is of the demographic that voted for people like Trump to make it allowable to, to do this kind of thing. You, but th- that woman, uh, in essence, raced Trump's gender. 
Because as long as the white thing is going on, the white supremacist thing is going on strong, I could care less about the, sex, the, the sexist behavior. Some women were wearing, Trump supporter uh, women were wearing T-shirts saying, uh, you could grab me anytime. What? What? Well, if a black man says something that, again, was very mild, very mild in comparison to grabbing one's genitalia, he loses a multi-million dollar dad and yogurt deal. I think he should have been clapped back. I think he should have apologized and kept it moving. But why do you have to and lose money? And kept it moving. I understand what you're saying. And it, 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 nobody is unscathed. Everybody that touches it, it just you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna end up feeling the consequences of that because for a woman and of obviously most likely a white woman who supported Trump, it's like, oh well, good for you. You're on the winning team, right? But if for some idiot, whatever her age or color may be, when she's saying. In regards to Rihanna's bruises to, you know, oh, Chris Brown, he can beat me up anytime. Yeah, Some stupid-ass, you know, BS like that. Then, of course, people are going to jump on her like, what the hell is wrong with you? Why are you going to act like that? What da 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 But honestly, that should be the same reaction that anyone would have towards a woman any self-respecting woman that would dare support a man who would talk about grabbing somebody by the pussy. Yeah. That should be the same reaction, the same level of disgust and anger. But no, because they're on the winning team, it's all good. They can act a fool. They can be crazy and disrespectful and sexist and racist, and it's all good. It's fine. It's fine. But anybody else outside of that category, when they make mistakes, when they start acting up, when they they say crazy, stupid things, and it's like, oh, well, you know, backlash, you know, harassment online, we demand an apology, no, you know, lose endorsements, lose money, this and that. Oh, and this reporter, oh, she, she, you know what I'm saying? Like everybody ends up being completely, you know, clapped back, you know, slammed. Land, having their reputations and their lives and their careers, you know, very much hanging in the balance and in jeopardy. But for everybody on the other team, on the winning team, on the white team, oh, they're good. They're exempt. They have full immunity to do and say whatever they want. It's okay. Let's go to Q Storm. Q, is that you? Yes, sir. What's up, man? How uh, are you? Good, good. I know I called in at the last minute, uh, so I'm going to get quick. But uh, before I say what I want to say, breaking news. I just got over my uh, news feed that uh, Harvey Weinstein was fired from his own company. Wow. Well, we saw that coming. We saw that coming. <laughs> um, I think they were talking about trying to set up a deal for him, an exit deal. So, I mean, you know, I, I was debating whether to talk about Weinstein because, you know, uh, I think a year ago or two years, like a year ago, he had to apologize for doing something lewd to a woman. And, I mean, listen, he's a Hollywood power broker. I mean, I, I don't know what to think, man. Hollywood is, you know, I, I can't speak on it, but the, the environment is crazy to me. And it, it actually, so, corporate America, I mean, listen, even Fox has shenanigans. Um, 
I, I yeah, think but keep that in mind. Harvey will sorry, be fine. But, He'll be fine. Keep, yeah, keep keep in mind. This only really came out because Harvey Weinstein. I just saw exactly the same thing as Q Storm just mentioned it right here. In my computer. He's been fired, which is not a surprise. He's been notorious for years. He's had physical fights with. Uh, reporters. Uh, there's a famous incident where he put one reporter in a headlock in a hotel lobby and beat the hell out of him, even dragged him out into the street. He's been a monster well, for years. The only reason now it's coming out because Harvey Weinstein's not what he was anymore. A decade ago, 15 years ago, he's one of the most powerful men in Hollywood. Now he's diminished. Um, Weinstein Company is practically on on a life raft trying to save itself. The company is about near going under. It's not what it was. And, so, and, he's gonna be, and again, he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. Yeah, but he's going to be fine. Of course, he's got all the money in the world. He's, I mean, he's, yeah, he can disappear and he can live a very, very comfortable life for the rest of his life and not worry about a thing except his this legal bills. This will all blow over, guys. This will all blow over. Give it a couple months. He'll be back working, producing, off to the side. You know, you won't really see or hear too much of him, but, oh, he'll be fine. Same thing with, what's her name? Amy Amy Pascal from Sony. Okay? She is fine. Look at her. Look at her, the audacity. She's sitting next to... Kevin Feige, and she's trying to jump on the bandwagon saying, oh, yeah, Spider-Man is in the MCU, and we're making our own, you know, Venom, and we're doing this, and we're doing that, and it's all part of it. It's all connected. And he's looking at her like, shut the hell up, bitch. No, you are not part of my MCU. Stop talking. But not that long ago, not that long ago, she was in the middle of her own scandal. She got ousted from her position at Sony because of everything that happened with the hack and the the emails, the emails, you know, making it seem like she was, you know, being disrespectful to Obama and whatever. And so, you know, look at her now. She's okay. It'll all blow over. It'll all blow over. It'll be fine. Well, and also the fact that, do recall, there still hasn't been much of an outcry from Hollywood about Harvey Weinstein. Yes, some actresses such as Brie Larson and um, a few others have come out, you know, speaking out against him. But everybody's been silent. Even Steven Spielberg, when he came for the premiere of his documentary, I mean, I'm sorry, the documentary about him at a New York Film Festival. He was asked about Spiel, I mean, he was asked about Weinstein. He refused to say anything. Everybody's sort of like, I don't know why. Well, you know, it's, no, it's, a, it's, what I mean by that is like, what are they afraid of? You know, well, there's, um, there's a, there's that Weinstein's going to come after them or well, there's, what? There's a, I don't know. There's another reason for that. Let me go back to Q. Q, you wanted to say some things. Well, I. I just I was gonna to talk to you about the uh the Cam Newton thing. Uh oh, yeah, I, go, I just you know. to, go ahead. I was just gonna say you 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 and Sergio were talking about the woman, the reporter and the dirt that she has in her past, but I saw the tweet and she refers to the N word, but she uses yeah. the right. N word with the the G A extrapolation. So why is she we all know Afro North's story about pulling up next to these two white girls who were singing this song but but ends in Paris I guess and 
No, no, no. It was uh, DMX. You came by it was, and it was, and you it was said, DMX. Oh, no, sing the song. Okay, I wonder why is she such a horrible person? Well, no, it, it goes. It goes listen, I'm not going to go there with that because listen, I, I, you understand? You know how I feel about the whole thing. The whole thing is absurd. Okay, I don't really get that deep into into who uses the word. I would prefer the word to be like erased completely. But I know everybody has their own deal with this thing. But it's beyond just her use of the word. I think she had an exchange with a father on Facebook about Muslims or something. I mean, listen, when white folks talk about, and I want to say all whites, I'm being very specific, racist white people, they don't have this demarcation. Okay? When they talk about, if, if, when they, it, it, maybe she would have got a pass on the, on the GA versus GER, which is absurd. But then she would have said, her and her pops had a conversation about dirty Indians or dirty, I mean, something very, very, very bad and very racist. So this, this is a part of the DNA, the culture. So it's, it's not. Okay, I, I, didn't, three, I didn't see that tweet. I didn't see that tweet. It's two or three things with this woman that lead you to believe that, oh, they're just kind of racial. They speak in racial terms. You know what I mean? My people, we don't speak in racial terms. You know what I mean? But some people, that's what they do. That's that, that's that makeup. Yes, they found out she was an awful person. That was the deal. I, I, listen, the minute, she, the minute she went into victim mode, they were able to find out, oh, no, 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 you are awful. And it should negate the whole thing. You're awful and you're awful in a the, the conversation. Well, and also, don't forget the well. Let me go back to the Weinstein thing for a second. Hypocrisy is that his lawyer was Lisa Bloom. Now, if yep. you don't know who Lisa Bloom is, she's been on the she's show. The, she's, been our, she's been on our you know, show. Right, yep. very liberal, progressive, pro-feminist mm-hmm. lawyer who was his lawyer, who's the daughter of Gloria Allred. Yep. You know the. Long-time lawyer, you know, uh, really media whore who jumps on any, you know, scandal she can jump on to get herself in front of camera. Now, Lisa Bloom has left defending Weinstein, particularly after allegations that she threatened the women who were accusing Weinstein of sexual harassment, saying that they were going. She had pictures of them scandalous pictures, revealing pictures that she was threatening them to release to the public. But now she, okay. she has left, you know, well, defending well, um Well, it proves Weinstein. my point. That you, it proves my point. This is the part about Hollywood. I, wouldn't, I would never say that there, that, that there aren't women and men, by the way, that are being put in compromising positions or finding themselves in com- compromised positions. My only thing is that outside of rape, if you... It, it, my whole thing is, you don't do what you don't want to do. Now, if you feel like you need to do this kind of thing to get over, there's men and women that make these compromises all the time that I would not, I would never do, because money doesn't mean that much to me like that. But some people will, will sell their soul to be put on and then cry later on. Like Ashley Judd, you see pictures of her smiling with Weinstein, even though she said that uh, he was trying to get her to get a, you know, get a massage from her and all kinds of weird behavior. First of all, yeah, yeah, guys like that deserve me. That's my term, massage. But, but still, but listen, I don't. I have never coerced a woman to do anything. So I, I don't understand. That's a guy that has no no rap. 
if you're a multi-millionaire, lose some weight. <laughs> Do something. Here we go. Here we go. Listen, you should have no, enough. It, you should have a, Hold on, hold on, Sergio. You should have enough. Enough. I hate to use a street term. You should have enough game. Especially if you're if you're that wealthy and have access to not to do these weird shenanigans. But you have these 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 obese man boys that don't know how to talk to a woman, don't know how to rap to a woman, and they have to go through all these these wild. Uh, I, I, I'm gonna have you. I'm gonna have you uh, look at me take a shower. What? What, what part of the game is that? <laughs> well, no, no but there's just been a whole. I mean, look, look at all the guys who have been accused lately. You got Weinstein, actually, who has lost a lot of weight. Actually, he used to be a lot fatter. No, you had the slob. guy who who created screen junkies. He's been accused of sexual harassment. Yeah, Harry knows. Yeah, Harry Damn. knows. Really, wow. one of the most disgusting men on the planet who had any cool news. He's been. Uh, he's now come out. One of my close friends who used to write for him has left because of these. Because now the allegations have come out, and then there were people over at Draft uh, Alamo Draft House. Uh, two people who are now left. They all kind of look alike. They're all sloppy, <laughs> fat guys with beards. It's a weird thing, you know. They're all interchangeable. But there's been a whole slew of this stuff Kirk, lately Kirk, that's been come out. Kirk, Kirk, listen. I ain't saying anything, right? I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go into too much about my situation details or whatever. But I'm just telling. You, and I, I'm not saying I'm. I'm. I'm all that. But. Even Kirk can attest to this too, because you've gone through this also. We've we've had women say weird, untoward things towards us. So what's that mean? Recently, recently, and I can't go to details on that. But I'm just saying that we've been in certain places where I've I've I I, I, I if I could recite to you what a, what a woman told me recently, verbatim, it would blow your head. I cannot say what was said to me. Women, but she okay. knew who you were. Yeah. Yeah, she knew. Very well. <laughs> very well. She huh. said something to me that was very, like, I can't even tell you. I can't even tell you. Send me an email. Send me an email. I'll send you an email what, what, what was said to me. I'm, <laughs> I'll send you what, what was said to me. Because i got to hear i got to see this for myself. Send me an very, email. Very i got to hear this. Well, I'm just telling you that uh, I don't know what's wrong with a guy that has power. I don't have any money. So I'm talking about a guy that has power and money and access that you can't, like, figure your way around a woman? I didn't do anything. And I was, somebody said something to me crazy. So <laughs> uh, what, what's, go, what's going on here? And They're you all have, different like, things. You know that, right? They're all different things. I've come across different people that had lots of game. Ooh, he was so slick. Ooh, he knew just what to say. <laughs> Damn, okay. And then I realized that he living with his mom and, you know, like he working two jobs, one Starbucks and this and that car wash and he's struggling. And But I was like, okay, but I was impressed because I was like, okay, your presentation was on point, but you ain't got nothing going on for yourself. So, bye. And then on the flip, on the flip, I'll, I'll come across people that I know have got money, all right? They got money to burn, money to spare, you know, but they do not know how to talk, let alone to a woman, let alone to try to pick up a woman. No game whatsoever. They are just awkward and creepy, and, you know, they don't know how to conduct themselves. 
They don't, I'm telling you, and listen, I, I think I've mentioned this on the show, probably in other episodes, but I'll go ahead and remind our listening audience that I used to work in a strip club. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, hostess, cashier. Listen, I've seen a lot of different personalities, a lot of different kinds of guys coming in there, okay? And it's just, it, it varies. It's not all a package deal. Some guys, they might be able to talk the talk, but they ain't got no money. They got nothing, mm-hmm. right? Some guys, some guys, they got tons of money, but because they don't know how to conduct themselves, they don't know how to speak. They don't know how to act. They just come off kind of weird and creepy and bizarre, and they maybe they got some weird kinky little fetish, or they just don't know how to, you know, <laughs> be with a woman, talk to a woman, you know. Then yeah, I mean, they 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 all they have is the money. That's all they got going for themselves. So therefore, it makes total sense that these guys that now it's all kind of coming out. You're hilarious, Sergio. So you call them interchangeable. That made me laugh. Oh, my God. But, yeah, Harvey Weinstein and, you know, uh, Andy Signor from Screen Junkies and that dude from uh, Ain't It Cool News, you know. Yeah, yeah, Knowles. They're all fat white dudes with beards that look kind of sloppy and slovenly. And it's like, you know, if anything, to you, I would think that it would make more sense that because all they really had going for them was the money, was the power, was their company, the fact that they're head of, you know, CEO of, boss of, that's all they got going for them. They don't have no game. No, they don't got no charm. They're not slick like that. They just got the power. They just have the access. That's it. Incredible. We're already past the uh, podcast time. We're no longer broadcasting live. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Star, right Trek Discur- Star Trek Discovery is coming on, so I'm out later. Okay, well, some of us <laughs> have DVRs. You know you Bill. Come on. So, I know. <laughs> Let's give another five minutes because there's some stuff I want to, and then we'll wrap things up. We're already in podcast mode to listening audience. Um, anyone check out The Gifted? I did see The Gifted. Oh, I see yeah, I saw it today. What, what did you think? Textbook, X Men by the Numbers, Brian Singer's behind this also. Honest, there. Yeah, at first I was kind of like, "Oh boy, here we go, another, uh, another young adult, you know, franchise is upon us." Um, but then as I got going on it, I was thinking, actually, this might, this might work might out. Work. This might, this might work. This might turn into something because, a, it's not, it's not nearly as bizarre, and off-putting, as Legion which can be very hard to follow and kind of like it can kind of put you off, right? It's not it's not so extreme in that sense. And in terms of the use of 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 powers, it it really feels like okay, here we go. We are absolutely amongst mutants. They're using their abilities and it doesn't look cheesy. It works. It totally works within this realm this world we we feel like yeah i believe that i totally believe that and you know in terms of like you know the the father that used to prosecute mutants and now it turns out that his kids are mutants and he has to try to protect them and everything i was like okay i think i could i can hang with this i think we got something here because unfortunately 
<laughs> with things like in humans, and even to a degree, since we're talking about Brian Singer, even to a degree, X-Men Apocalypse, it's like you don't understand the power of keeping things still rooted in reality or rooted on this earth, like the, the world that we know. So when you get kind of crazy, you go kind of nuts with the, the like Medusa's hair or the talking wall oh. or with or with Apocalypse, the fact that Mystique never uses her powers at all. You know, she just stays in that one form as Jennifer Lawrence because Jennifer Lawrence is a superstar and she don't want to be putting no damn makeup on and looking blue. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, all that crap kind of starts to mess with the story because it's so inconsistent with everything else that we've built in that in that realm, of, in that X-Men universe. So I didn't, I'll be honest with you, I never finished Legion. I couldn't get past the second episode. Legion just wasn't my thing. It was a little bit too weird, too out there, and I, I couldn't hang. But for this, I, I got to say, after watching the pilot, I'm, I'm willing to give this a try. And I'm okay with Matt Nix in terms of his style because um, I liked what he did uh, with Burn Notice. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to give this a shot. Well, it's funny you mentioned the burn notice um, connection because now that makes a lot of sense because uh, Kobe Bell is uh, plays uh, one of the agents on there, and he was from he had a brief burn stint notice. on burn yeah. notice. I think a two a two or three season arc, and I like burn notice actually, and, and some of these are, are, are like mainstays in in this uh, sci-fi genre. Amy Acker, we know her from um, uh, oh, what is it? Is it one of the what is that thing? Damn. She's part uh, of that Joss Whedon crew. Yeah, I mean, she, she's definitely Joss Whedon's girl. But I'm, I'm thinking of, um, well, I'm looking at her, her some of her Angel, yeah, Angel, Dollhouse, um, person of interest was like the last thing that I remember her from. So I mean, so she's she's very much rooted in this type of stuff. Um, and we can say that this is a bit more diverse, like obviously. So I think you know maybe we will see we will see more diversity. Uh, Jamie Chung, we saw her in um, Gotham. Uh, is she still? I, I, I stopped looking at Gotham, but I, I actually liked her on Gotham. But she played some kind of um, det- what was she? Like a detective or a reporter, I think. Anyway, so now she's in this thing. Uh, oh, that's right. I totally forgot about that. She was supposed to be. She was supposed to be like, like Vicky Vale. Yes. Yes, yeah, she. I, you know, I was looking at looking at her, and she started having a relationship with, uh, with with Gordon, for like half a second. Um, I don't know what happened to that. I mean, it, 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 it's not it's Batman without Batman. Gotham turns me off, so I'm I'm out yeah, I'm out go. of that loop. <laughs> uh, he's got to yep. go ten years ten years in the future, and then I'm down. I'm not I'm not down mm-hmm. for that right now. Uh, but anyway, what you just said. Um, and also the the family they're known as the Strucker families. Stephen Moyer we know from um, True Blood. Uh, he plays Reed Strucker. Amy Acker plays Caitlin Strucker, and then the two kids that are also mutants are Struckers. Strucker, as in Baron von Strucker, is a villain in the Marvel universe. So I don't know how that plays a role. But when you st- you got to pay close attention to these names. Um, Jamie Chung plays Blink. Blink is a character in the X-Men. So Polaris, 
is the character, you know, with her ability to, to manipulate mag- magnetism. That's uh, Magneto's daughter. And they, and they say, uh, I don't know where the X-Men are right now. This is, so they, they are definitely, like you said, they're rooted in this universe. So I kind of, and their powers actually don't look cheesy. I exactly. It doesn't look I, like BS, cheesy, nonsense, like, like Inhumans. Yeah. And actually, it's a little bit, a little bit better than what I see on the CW. I'll be honest. CW's okay, but this was almost close. It was pretty legit. I, w- I was like, okay, I, li- I like this. So far, so good. I'm kind of down. So I'm, I'm down with that. Um, I agree. And I feel like right, me, unlike um, X-Men Days of Future Past, where all the people of color, you know, Bishop, Blink, Sunspot, all the people of color had no lines – <laughs> and they're all None. in the future, and they're just, you know what I'm saying? So I, I, that's why I was more willing to take a look at this, to just give it a try. Well, one last thing. I, I would be remiss, and I wish Daryl were, were here, was here to actually talk about this. I put this in our um, DM. There was this, I, I must have missed this because this actually happened the day that I was there, but this was like, I guess, before things started, you know, before the event. This was a special Marvel Retail retail sale, sellers breakfast that I think was you know somewhere else adjacent it was being held adjacent to the Jacob Javits Center and all of a sudden they said that at some point it was very cordial but then when a few people started yelling out about diversity and quote unquote damn females and blacks <laughs> it went off the rails oh, so. Shit. Yeah, it, it it went it went somewhere else. It got very cantankerous, and what what, the, what they were basically saying was is that they're losing money, and they don't like that they don't like that Marvel because many of these Marvel books are very much, uh, you know, the 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 editorial staff now was basically female uh, millennials. So, but there's something something is going on. I mean, hell, I saw as a cosplayer, I saw. Um, uh, Moon Girl, the little a little black girl. I mean, a real little black girl in a uh, in a in a um, a dinosaur costume, which is based on the comic book. But that's one of one of those books. So they're trying to say that you know you have a black Captain America in comic books, you have a female Thor, you have an Asian Hulk. So all these things are not going well. For these retailers that feel that we got to bring, we got to have a white Hulk, we got to have a white Captain America, and we have to have a white and male Thor. This is the same excuse we've heard so many times. We've heard so many times. Okay, so now translate that argument, translate the argument onto film. When a movie doesn't do well and the cast is predominantly white, everyone says, oh, it failed because of the writing because of the production, because of the marketing. When a movie that fails that is predominantly of color, oh, it's because you cast people of, uh, you know, ethnically diverse, you, you cater to that diverse crap, that's why it failed. So why is it that it's so easy for everyone to blame us, like, oh, those damn liberal agenda, the millennials and the, those damn females and their diversity initiatives, it's all their fault. It's all their fault. 
as to why we're not making money. Well, what was the excuse whenever you've, all, you've ever had a, a sales slump when it was all white characters? What was the excuse then? Well, this, this is the discussion I had with, the, with this gentleman, and I will have him on the show, you know, just for S and giggles. But he, um, all of a sudden, you know, he saw the Afro nerd shirt, and then he had a reaction. I've seen it, most of the time the reaction is very positive, but something, but sometimes it, it's like it's, you get this quizzical look, like why? And I'm like, why not? It's, it, it's very odd to 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 have an ethnic spin on something, and then people have a reaction to it. So we we have this conversation, and he also, and I, I've had this conversation an immeasurable amount of times, Claire. Where um, they will say, well, you know, you can't have these minority-led books because they don't sell. So he went, he went into that rant that, you know, uh, first he talked about how he couldn't really write or felt, he didn't feel comfortable writing black characters. Although he says he does write black characters, but he says it's too much work. He, he confessed that it's too much work. Then he says that, well, these, you know, if you, if you have uh, a character of color leading a, a book, that book won't sell. So that's that's what's going on now. To Marvel's, to Marvel's, uh, to be fair to Marvel, to be fair to Marvel, from what I've been reading about what happened, Marvel still remained very committed to this initiative. That you know all this stuff that's going on, because this guy, matter of fact, the guy that I spoke to, this this he's a writer, he's a comic book creator. He said that well, you know, the average purchaser of comic books is 42 white and male. So all this other stuff going on, Marvel. At the end of the day, Marvel said that they're going to continue with this. They're not. They're not backing down off of this I whole thing. I don't, be, I don't buy those statistics. What he just said. I don't buy those statistics as of right now. Maybe ten years ago, twenty years ago, probably maybe. But right now, right now, I don't believe that 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 statistic is accurate. An accurate uh, reflection of of who buys comic books. And yes, Marvel is committed because regardless of whether or not it's their mission statement, their ideology, for definitely, for sure, for sure, it is the ideology of Disney. It is the ideology of Disney. In terms of that company, in terms of everything that is within their reach, so that encompasses Marvel, Pixar, ABC, you know, Star Wars. This is, this is not a thing. This is not like something they're going to try out, test the waters, see if they'll make money. No, this is a, a company mandate, a company mandate. That's why I was so shocked that they would even allow a show like, you know, Last Man Standing on their network. Not because I, th- I don't think it's funny. To be honest with you, I have seen it. I have seen Tim Allen's uh, show. I was a huge fan of his when I was much younger, when he had another sitcom, Home Improvement, you know. But, the, but the, the truth is is that the show is very conservative. It's very conservative in its values and it's, in its humor, in its style, who it's geared towards. A lot of the jokes make fun of liberals. A lot of the jokes make fun of insult Obama. Like, it, it's very much steeped in that particular core audience. So that's why I was kind of shocked that they would even allow that show on their network because it doesn't, it's not consistent with their brand. I'm not saying that the show doesn't have any funny moments. It does. 
It does. He's a good writer. He's a good comedian for a white dude that caters to other conservative white dudes. He knows his market very well. But that's why it it doesn't make any sense as to why they would even allow that and then have people confused as to why they got canceled. It's, it shouldn't have been on there in the first place. So back to my point, Disney... Disney in general, you see it within each of their tentacles, each of their arms, all of it, with Star Wars Force Awakens, and everyone got so mad. Oh, it's a girl, we got a black dude, and we got this Guatemalan dude, and ooh, ooh, ooh. with Force Awakens, everyone was like, what's going on? And then what happened? The movie, <laughs> the movie made like a, billion, a dollars. billion dollars in less than two weeks. So then they all shut up because it's like, oh, well, I guess there seems to be some interest. And I guess people around the world are now finding Star Wars. And it now starts to resonate with them because there's more, you know, inclusion. Shocking that that would make more money. You know, it's just about doing the math. I applaud Marvel for sticking with it, even though they're, they're definitely having a lot of blowback, a lot of detractors, a lot of people that believe that white is right and that anything else, is the absolute cause of everything that's wrong with the world. I applaud Marvel for sticking to their guns. I, I, I'm not a comic book person, but I know it can't be easy to try to appease everybody, you know, especially since comic books in general, like any print, any print-based work is just going out, you know, like the dodo bird. Everything's digital. Everything's more expensive to use paper and ink and, Manufact- you know what I'm saying? Like, everything is more difficult to maintain. Well, that, that's the other half of it, and we spoke about this quite a bit. I mean, we, listen, we grew up on this, on this genre, um, but it's been a fight for a number of, of years, and especially because of the technology, as you just mentioned. You know, people are downloading this media, so you know, the idea of going to the comic book thing, it really is an uh, expensive, specialized hobby. That, uh, if anything, you know, you're buying new books, but you're also buying these old books that are worth – thousands, hundreds, thousands, some of them are even million-dollar books. It's like stamp collecting at this point. Um, but I do know going to, and Daryl can say this because we are regulars at the comic shop, when I go to the comic shop, I would say when I was a kid, I was definitely a fly in milk. Okay? But um, now, hell no. I see young women coming, young women of all ethnicities, a lot of black dudes, a lot of Spanish dudes, uh, Asian girls, young women. I see everybody in the comic shop now. So, and asking for particular books. I mean, I, I might have said, said this story before because it, it kind of it took me aback. It made me, uh, you know, I, I, I felt something. I, I was, a young girl comes in. This is when Miles Morales really hit the scene. Young uh, Latina. She had to be around, I don't know, 10 or 11 or something. And she says, um, I'm looking for the Miles Morales Spider-Man. My last name is Morales. And I was taken aback by that because normally you know, at that time you didn't really see young people in, in a comic store, but she had a, a reason to come to the store. And it, it, it really hit me. It touched me when I saw that. And I've seen that quite a few occasions where, where people are coming in to see themselves and they're asking specifically for a type of book. So... I, I don't, I don't, I don't like it when I, I hear people say, "Well, it's forty-two and white and male." Like I don't know if that, I don't know if that's the same. I don't know if that's the case anymore. I don't know if that's. 
I don't know if that's wholesale truthful. I don't know. Anyway, Claire, we're the last two standing. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to catch up with the, with the mighty Daryl B because I, he had probably more to say about Comic-Con than I did. Comic-Con is such a monster that you can barely, even, if, even when you're there, you feel like you can't get into anything. And that's what ha- that was my experience. At least last year I was able to actually go to a couple of the panels and sit in. There were diversity panels. That's another thing. If, 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 if diversity isn't working, why are the panels so full you can't even get into them? It was announced that diversity, the diversity panel is, is, is full to the brim. There's no more room. And, it's, and we have these diversity panels for a couple of years now. So I, I don't, I don't, Afropunk meets Afro uh, meets Blurds. Jamie Broadnax was last year. I mean, these things are going down. When I saw her, she hugged me and said, "You are you coming to, uh, what is her thing? That's in, in, in Baltimore next year. Uh, I can't think of her. her it's, a, it's like a diversity con kind of thing. Anyway, I'll get it right next, next week. Claire, as always, I appreciate you coming through. Uh, I mean that I could not do the show without you and the uncanny and all and all the folks that contribute. So, uh, going out on the groove, we'll do it again next week. Maybe Sunday will be the permanent time for the duration. I think so because everyone's got their own things going on. So, this is Van Hunt. Ride, ride, ride. Claire, thank you. See you next week. It's been real. <laughs> I don't